0: sigmar story phase grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the age of sigmar your allies across the duardan diaspora this
1: episode are hey i'm paul and uh guys did you know that snoop Dogg is in aos no No. i mean i i I feel like if you read this book you're gonna love his greatest hit drop it like it's hot
2: (laughs) (laughs) what i'm harry and uh i didn't realize santa had such a big axe
0: and uh i'm Davey. and uh if i have to listen to too many paul theories this episode i will feel so old i will be the white bearded ancestor (laughs) watch out yeah hey uh in this episode we're going to cover grudges beer long memories and short tempers and after that if we have time we'll cover grom brindle (laughs) how are you tonight fellas Doing 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 great all right cool uh, I feel like, uh, to do the story phase, uh, to, to do it right, I, I should get a little more hopped up on coffee or something. I, I got to <laughs> bring that, like that nervous Aaron energy into this, but
1: <laughs> yeah, more self-deprecating. Come on. And well,
0: yeah, both, you, you know, do, you
1: uh, got to apologize but, to your future children quite often as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the man needs to stop. He's already got three. Um, but, uh. No, I, I, I tell you what, uh, I, listeners, if you, if you think it's kind of mean for us to be dunking on Aaron while he's not here, guess what? He is here. He's having to edit this. So he's having to yep. listen to me uh, dunk on him right now. He gets to enjoy all of this. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Aaron he is very cool. I love Aaron. Uh, but uh, that's what he's going to be doing. How about you tell me what you have been doing in the hobby? Let's start with you, Paul.
1: Uh, well, I have been um, working on some squigs. Um, so we're starting a new season of past the story. So, uh, I've picked up on the squig herd. Um, I had it before it was good. Just everybody. So just, so you know, uh, but I was <laughs> super excited and uh, <laughs> I, I just got to put some mustaches and some plaid shirts on my squigs and I'll be all set to go.
0: Oh yeah. Get him in, get him in uh, skinny jeans. Oh
1: man. <laughs> 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 that would totally work. <laughs>
2: Uh, um, I've got to go wash my brain out now. <laughs> like, the thought of squigs and skinny jeans.
1: I mean, have you, have you heard that soundtrack on vinyl? It's so much better, uh, but I <laughs> of it. it's really obscure. So, uh, Harry, what have you been working on?
2: Um, so I'm also of course working on the, uh, the new season of path of story and I'm doing a dark oath army, um, slaves to Darkness. So I have been working on squigs as well. Um, <laughs> now, I, I suffered a severe bout of hobby ADD this last month and have spent most of my free time on uh, some Boingrop Bounders that need to look a lot more like Bretonian knights. So thankfully, I learned how to, um, thanks to uh, was it Chris Peach, taught me how to put uh, masking tape as fabric using uh, super glue. And so that saved me a whole lot of frustration with green stuff. And I've been able to put barding on 10 Boingrott bounders and put little uh, pendants on on their lances. And I'm excited to get them painted up in a variety of nightly colors.
0: Very cool. I love it. Um, for me, I had a brief moment of excitement where, um, uh, well, it, it's been a real roller coaster with Adepticon, which is kind of the, the event on the horizon. Mm. Uh, G-Dub was, was pretty slow to pull the trigger on a grand clash. And by the time they set it for Saturday, Sunday, I was already committed to a spring break trip. Uh, so I will not make it to the grand clash, kind of the, oh, uh, no. marquee event for, uh, for us over in, uh, underworld's land. On what the hex uh but there is the uh actually I have no idea who these guys are the dice heroes are doing a wednesday night event so my, my official adepticon uh begins and is over on wednesday night uh, wow. so <laughs> uh i'll be hanging out for another 24 hours plus maybe 36 hours uh into into friday morning uh but just kind of hanging loose doing it the uh, doing the dose aso style aaron uh, floating around uh hopefully Running into listeners, uh, playing some pickup games. I think we're trying to do a, a Mortal Realms uh, get together thing. I don't know uh, how in the know you guys are. I'm pushing for Have you guys heard of this game, Blood on the Clock Tower?
1: Mm. I it have You about it. It sounds fun. Yeah.
0: It's like a social deduction game that has been very refined. So I think like Werewolf uh, like one night werewolf or whatever. Okay. Uh, but with, uh, with a lot of different roles, information gathering and, uh, pretty appropriate to us in, in our kind of narrative lanes is, uh, it has a neutral storyteller who helps kind of craft the experience. So,
1: Ooh, nice. uh, yeah, that sounds fun.
0: Yeah. We'll see, uh, if we, if, uh, I'm not going to force it on folks, but I think, I think it'd be cool because there's nothing that uh, really brings a, a a team together, like uh, accusing each other of of uh, being demons and murdering your friends. So, <laughs> right, yeah. right.
2: Sounds like a great friend. <laughs> not, not much else will quite like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technically, a true statement. Uh, we so gosh, I don't think we've 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 uh, ha- kind of danced around a little bit. Uh, we are going to cover Grom Brindle uh, today. That. Uh, <laughs> Paul, why don't you? Uh, well, we'll get into that in just a second here. Uh, I, I do have a couple plugs to hit. If uh, if I don't, then Aaron will uh, uh, hang me at the gallows even before we play Blood on the Cock- Clock Tower. <laughs> so. Um, well, you're, you're listening to this episode now. Great. I don't know how you found it. Uh, I'm, I'm still surprised by how many people show up to the discord and they say, yeah, I just searched on Spotify and found it. Well, there's tons of episodes of this. Uh, we have, uh, you can find them at themortalrealms.com, any of the many podcasts in our network. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can talk to us at mortalrealms at gmail.com or even better, uh, come check us out at the discord and, uh, hang out with a bunch of your, your closest friends from all over uh, that are into the same things you're into. Um, if you feel like supporting us, which for some reason people do, um, you can, uh, <laughs> you can hop on to uh, patreoncom the slash, uh, slash the mortal realms, uh, support the show. Uh, right now you're, you can get early releases of the story phase and there's, uh, some content like the pocket realms where, um, Aaron and I will do short story coverage, um, and uh, talk about those. We try to get uh, roughly one a month done on that. That's uh,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah, it, and if you can't do that, um, if you can't support us monetarily, totally cool. Uh, just go ahead and recommend us to somebody, either word of mouth or whatever podcast service you're doing. Uh, using rate us and give us a review. That really helps other people find us. Uh, so those people who are searching on Spotify, they're only doing it because, or they're only you know really finding us because of the the work some of the rest of you have done. Uh, so get us, get us out there to more people and we'd really appreciate
2: it. Great. And it helps us know how we're doing. Cause you know, we like to go and read our own reviews. So
0: <laughs> leave Sounds us a like review. A guy who hasn't had bad reviews.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, He's young yet. He's young yet. He'll get it. <laughs> uh, but that's it. Hey, uh, we have, we have what could be a mammoth episode. Um, I talked about maybe getting old because of Paul theory is what I'm really going to get. Like I, we were joking before the episode, like it's possible that we may not finish this before I have to go to work, uh, in about six hours here. So, um, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's get to it. Uh, Paul, do that thing you do, man. The story
1: phase in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms it's actually a fun little discussion about which was the ninth realm on our discord so oh yeah i don't think we actually came to a consensus but uh
0: yeah i mean it's lost to the mist of time but i i feel like i got a pretty strong memory of it but uh yeah i i i think i think it was back early aos i think uh Eric and I were discussing how many to put in there. I think we ended up, it might even be, Mouse might have still been involved. Um, I think uh, they settled on the realm of chaos being the ninth realm. Right. Um, I was, I was, uh, I think I described myself as agnostic to that theory, um, (laughs) but uh, not enough to fight against it. So
1: you're telling me there are Paul theories before I was even on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like uh, the Ur Paul theories. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Speaking of the myths of time. um, Yeah we're going to be covering the Grombrindel book. Um, uh, so Grombrindel is one of those characters who has been around for forever. If you've been to Warhammer world, they've had miniatures of him that you can buy from Warhammer fantasy. Um, and so he's a pretty cool character and uh, we've got a pretty sweet book. Um, it's kind of a non-traditional book um, as far as black library releases are because it has an anthology and then it also has a short story class slash novella at the end.
0: Um, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've been remiss so far. It's a, it's a David Geimer, uh, mm-hmm. a David Geimer joint, as you might say. So,
2: Exactly. Right. And go ahead. So this is Grombrindle Chronicles of the Wanderer, yep. um, which all of the stories in here were written by David Geimer. And you've also seen him... With Realm Slayer and Realm Slayer, Blood of the Old World were both his works, um, which is where he may have introduced uh, a possibility for Grom Brindle showing up in the old world or in Uh, the uh, in the new world.
0: Hey, guys, you've been saying Grom Brindle a lot. How might people otherwise know said character?
1: Um, The Red Dwarf, right? No, wait. No. Um, that,
2: that's another that
1: <laughs> <second>, show. <laughs> um, I think he's called the White Dwarf, right?
0: Yeah. The White Dwarf or the White Dwarden, depending on if you're in the uh, world that was or the realms here. So
1: Exactly. Um, so we're going to start off with a bit of a um, spoiler-free talk about this novel, which is going to be... It's kind of a a weird thing to talk about it. We were talking about it before we started recording and we've got these short stories and we've got this novella. And so we're going to try and give you a little bit of what you're going to get and what you can have some expectations for. But obviously, when you're discussing seven different stories, um, there's going to be some stuff that's left out. So be aware, Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what you can expect, but then Each story is going to kind of have its own um, breakout from there. So, we're going to have one big spoiler free phase. If you haven't read them, go read them um, and then listen to it. Or if you just want to listen to it, all right, well, you're not going to have to listen through seven spoiler free phases uh, because we thought that'd be a little, a little much. So, um, yep. So as we're talking about, um, these stories are about Grombrindle, also known as the White Dwarf or the White Dwarden. Um, each of them is set in a slightly different time, slightly different place. Um, they deal with pretty much every aspect of Dwarven culture that we know. Um, and this is also kind of an interesting situation where you might have read some of these stories, even if you haven't read a Black Library novel before, because... Five of these short stories were also published in White Dwarf as a serial. Uh, So you...
2: That's the magazine, not the character.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Not the character. (laughs) Super confusing. I understand. Uh, But uh, they have been published previously in White Dwarf, except for the last short story and the novella itself. Um, So we're dealing with the dispossessed we're dealing with fire slayers we're dealing with carriage overlords um or there's even a a go trek kind of tie-in story that we're doing here Uh, Mm -hmm. so what do you guys think about what what would you include in a spoiler free talk about what this what these seven stories are going to be about
2: oh boy um so like you mentioned they they take place all across the timeline of Age of Sigmar, or the, the Mortal Realms, rather, um, ranging all the way from the early Age of Chaos, end of the Age of Myth, all the way up to the current era of the Beast, um, with some significant stops in the, uh, the time of the Necroquake or, or Soul Wars, as we knew it and on the game side. Um, so it's, it's all over the place timeline wise. As far as location goes, uh, we visit at least three of the mortal realms, and we may get glimpses into others at points along the way, um, but significant parts of the story take place in Akshi, in Shaman, and in Hish.
1: David, do you have any quick thoughts on uh, other things that you think would be important for people to know before they dive in?
0: No, I, I, uh, I think it's such a broad spectrum, um, that, uh, that I think it might even be better to just kind of, um, we, there's a whole lot we're going to cover with it. So I think we can just jump into it.
2: I think Uh, the last thing I'd add, and sorry, David, the last thing that I would add is if you liked Duarden or dwarves, you're going to love this book. Well, that's what, we,
0: that's what we often do is, is do you recommend the book? And if so, to whom do you recommend it? And I think you're answering that right now. So yeah,
2: like, lay, this, lay it is, out. this is definitely for people who enjoy stories about stunties. Um it, it covers all different flavors of Duarden in the mortal realms. It also has some good flashbacks to the old world and the culture of the old world um, that, that we knew as dwarves. Um, and there's some good glimpses at, uh, at some of the other races and how they're viewed by the, uh, the Dwarden yeah. in the mortal realms.
0: Yeah. I, I would concur with that entirely. I, I have really enjoyed the character overlords. Uh, but this was a good reminder that I do like the other Dwarden factions as well. Cool. Um, and honestly, it made me uh, a little nostalgic for old world, uh, old world, old world dwarves, uh, I kind of, I kind of forgot how much I, I like those guys. Um, they, they pop up uh, in some of the stories more featured than others, but.
2: I think it reminded me that they're not really gone, you know, yeah. that yeah. underlying it, it's still dwarven culture. It may be, be called dwarven culture and it may manifest in these different flavors or expressions that we see in the fire slayers or the Karajan, but deep down there, they're still the dwarves that we know and love.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um. I think one of the things that we've we've kind of danced around is that if you've never heard of Grombrindol, you don't know who the white dwarf or the white dwarden is. Um. He's not a god, but he definitely benefits from some prolonged life. Or um, is he? <laughs> yep. That's a that's kind of an interesting question that we approach in these short stories, but. As we're talking about it, we're like, we're from this era to this era, from this realm to this realm. Um, So one of the things that you are going to get is you are going to get some stories that really tie all these Dwarden together. But the the White Dwarf is going to be present in all of them because he is this long-lived ancestor, as it were. Uh, So make sure your expectations are there, that it's not going to be like a one-off of, it's telling the epic story of one lifetime of one person. Yes, and also at the same time, no, this is not a normal person. So um, it, it's also what makes these stories fun for me is because he, um, he also likes to not show up as himself, right? Mm. Like he, he's got kind of a, a man of many faces aspect to yeah. him. And so one of the enjoyable aspects for me is trying to figure out which one we're kind of talking about and like what's going on differently in every story yeah. and mm-hmm. how that can be traced back to a cohesive character. So, it, yeah, you'll
0: find that the more you read them, the, the, you know, it gets pretty easy to figure out that, oh, you know, there he is. Uh, but it's still, you know, there, there's these kind of uh, unifying themes, you know, like it, I, it's, it's fun to see him pop up and just see it not so much like which one is he, but like, Oh, what does he look like this time? Or, you know, like hmm. how, uh, and not just like what's different, but what's the same, you know, because you have uh-huh. these, uh, Dwarden from all these different cultures, uh, but they're, they have some similarities still. And so, uh, that's that.
2: Um, and figuring out what he's up to in each story too, yeah, because yeah. his, his role and his goals, mm-hmm. uh, may not always be as straightforward as you would expect.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: So a quick disclaimer before we start jumping into the full spoiler review, Uh, as I was telling these guys before we started, uh, if you've ever listened to a Pocket Realms, Aaron and I can spend uh, an hour on just one of those short stories. There are six short stories in a novella here. So add that all up and we're talking like nine hours of content here. So uh, we are going to, we're really going to, I don't want to say blitz through, but we're going to be. Uh, circumspect in our in our summaries of these, so we kind of hit on the points that we we really uh, want to discuss, um, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, convey some of the things that we really like about it. And our original format was that uh, Paul's going to kind of uh, steer us through the short stories. I'm gonna I'm gonna snatch that away from him right now. I'm, right. I, I do this <laughs> first one. Uh, I'm gonna take Mother of Fire, and then I'm gonna turn the wheel over to you, Paul. So all right,
1: so uh, good with I- that. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Uh, But I I feel like I have to do Aaron some do and uh, prepare myself to be like, the spoiler phase. Oh, good. Uh, Okay, cool. As he likes to do. so. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: um, Yeah. And I'm realizing I got to stop. I got to stop giving him a hard time because he he has the ultimate control with the editing. Uh, Right. And just saying some really ridiculous stuff here. Aaron is very
1: cool. I love Aaron you can keep going cuz the the end <laughs> supercut after the credits is going to be amazing <laughs> uh
0: yeah so mother of fire first uh first story you can just guess in the title uh, that you would you would guess that we were uh talking about fire slayers and you'd be correct uh mm-hmm. this is this is some of the stuff i really like about uh, uh doing story so there's a uh a rune father and a rune mother mm-hmm. um helka ravens dotir is kind of the main point of view we see but uh they have a new child a, a new rune son and it's a ritual like how long can this rune son uh withstand this like totally blistering heat and uh i mean that's just like the theme all through this story is like everything's hot like they're they're already in a hot place and they're going deeper into the into the uh heart of this uh volcano lodge that they're in um and uh in in what is like not quite slapstick, but like oof. Uh the <laughs> this this uh rune sun is like just just uh uh toughing it out through just a tremendous amount of heat. Uh to the extent that his father is holding him out is like clearly like uncomfortable. And then uh there's a tremor and he drops the rune sun. And it's not like it took me a while to figure this out, but this rune sun like falls a long way. Yeah, you can hear him crying. Uh and so a uh, rescue mission gets launched. And, and, and as part of this, uh, there's a strange hearth call, uh, Askarn, is that the name? Askarn. And this is the uh, finger on the nose. This is uh, who we understand is Grum Brindle in this. Um, right. you know, he's, a, he's a hearth call where they're like, hi, ah, he's family. But I don't quite remember how, you know, it's like that cousin that I, I know that guy he seems real familiar. But
2: <laughs> uh, I can't remember why I know him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, part of it too was at, for this ritual, a lot of other lodges come to pay their respects. Yep. And so you've got fjords from all across the area who are there. So, you know, this guy snuck in amongst them and they all just assumed he belonged to somebody else.
0: Yes. Uh, so the rescue team gets down to the bottom. They they keep going deeper and deeper, and uh, there is a uh, rune smiter uh, that is, uh, holding, holding the, uh, heat at bay, uh, elderly and like really struggling to do this. So even with their natural heat resistance and they get to the bottom and they see these claw marks and it's clear that a magma droth must've got the kid. And part of my head is like, surely not. And like, they, I don't think they would do that, but maybe they would, I don't know. Uh, and they're getting ready to give up, but as, as Karn and uh, the, the mother are like, nah, like we at least got to bring him back. Like if, if, even if he's dead, we got to bring him back. And uh, there's a, I, I really like this moment where they go by, there's like an opening, you know, kind of like a lava tube. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's, that's a weird dead end thing. And then uncoiling from it is a, is a magma droth, which if you can think of a, a place where it would be any better camouflage than deep in the heart of a volcano, well, let me know. Cause I can't think of one. um, there's a fight here. Uh, there's, uh, the Helka is, is, uh, laying into it. Uh, karn white, the white Dwarden as uh, fire slayer. Uh, they've managed to kind of team up and slay this thing. And, uh, and there's a moment of like kind of empathy where they feel bad. Like what she was actually doing was defending her baby magma droths.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and real quick, David, yeah. like <laughs> The Magma dross snuck up on them through something we I don't think we've seen in the lore before about Magma Droths. Mm. Like before they've talked about different colors of Magma Droth having different significance, mm. but here they seem to indicate that some or most magma dross have the ability to almost like a chameleon change their color mm. uh, as camouflage, which I thought was just a really cool lore piece. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I was, that was new to me as well. Um, but, uh, I thought it was possible that I had just kind of uh, missed it, but maybe not. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, so, and this is cool. Uh, after the defeat, they, they, uh, they're like, well, you know, we've at least avenged the rune son and, uh, lo and behold, he was mistaken for a magma baby. And so there he's there with a clutch of newly hashed magma uh, quite the prize to, uh, recover. So they recover both the rune sun and, uh, a bunch of magma draws from quite an ancient mother. So, uh, quite possibly very powerful.
1: Exactly. Um, I, I, really enjoyed this story. Um, it, it always, it's a hard time for me when you're like, you're talking about parents, like mm. losing their children and stuff like that. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I thought that the topic was dealt with really well. Um, yeah. I I I thought that it was believable that there would be this ritual where you literally hold your child out into blistering heat <laughs> until yeah. they cry to see how strong yeah. they are, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I was shocked, but also like it, it, it's it's fantasy story of like the dad dropping his son because it was so <laughs> hot. Like instead of pulling yeah. him in, he's like, yeah. I'm so proud that my son has not cried. I'm literally just gonna oh oh crap.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, on the audio book version of this on audible um this this story in particular was narrated by emma gregory and she does an amazing job of putting a lot of emotion mm-hmm. into the lines both the emotion of the rune father and just how proud he is that his son's not not crying um and how stubborn he is he's holding his son out there even as his arms are burning yeah um and then just the the venom with which she delivers the the rune mother's lines when she's just angry at, at him for dropping her son—it's um, an amazing, amazing narration of this story. Yeah. Um, and I gotta say, like, what a way to open up this book um, yeah. <laughs> with the, with this story, um, and to be bold enough to introduce a whole different class of character than we see in the board game, um, mm. with the rune mother. Um, you know, I finished this story and immediately was tweeting like games workshop. We need a rune, <laughs> rune mother. mother, when? mother. Yeah. yeah. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's my only question. When are we going to see these, these, uh, really strong Duarte women totally. represented on the table?
0: Totally. Uh, this story was also kind of the first sense where I got, the white dwarf wasn't just uh, the idea. Uh, white Duarden, uh, in this case, Ascarn, is not just like the essence of Duarden distilled, which is kind of what I maybe assumed he would be. Mm. But he's he's so old and experienced that he he knows Duarden better than any better others, than and himself. he yeah. yeah, and he knows he knows not just like what their strengths are, but their faults, and he, he you know he he talks about um, the back and forth like grudgment begets. Grudgement. he talks about, uh, the daughters of Olcatric seek to dominate the sons of Grimnir just as you would conquer them in return. Uh, this, this kind of like, you know, for a race that really, uh, values wisdom, uh, he did a good job of just, uh, showing this guy to, to be wise. Uh, and there was this, I know it's just the first story, but uh, maybe my, at least a contender for my favorite line in the whole book, uh, they've recovered the rune son and he says, you know, they, they get him up and, and uh, Askar and says, promise me you teach him something other than war, though. The fire slayers deserve more than their God's worst hour. Mm-hmm. Whoa, like <laughs> the great- black library. What are you doing? Whoa. That's, <laughs> wow. That's great stuff. I I, yeah. I, mean, I was like, I read that a few times. It's like, man, that is good. That is really good. Um, yeah. And it's that, it's that kind of wisdom of like, Hey, you know, I know you guys are all about war and, uh, fury and hot rage and all this sort of thing, but like, think about more than that. Like, Oh man.
2: (laughs) Yep. And that's a theme we're going to see throughout this book is he's there to, to remind them of their better selves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And believe in their better selves, even if they themselves don't want to.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this story. Um, and, and with all the the first five stories we're going to talk about here, I read all of them in White Dwarf, and then I read all of them in the short story, and none of them was like, oh, I'm slogging through. Like All, all of these were really enjoyable for me to read because they were so clear about the identity. And I think that's something that David Geimer did really well in this anthology of short stories, is he took an aspect of Dwarden culture he gave us a moment that felt very believable and very enjoyable and then he teased out this fault but also redemption as it were from each of those stories as well Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. so it, it it this is the beginning of something that felt very cohesive to me so um so uh are you okay if we move on to the next one Please take,
0: yep. I, I, I uh, you can wrestle the wheel away from me here, Paul. <laughs> All
1: right, sounds good. <laughs> um, so the next one we're going to talk about is the Old Whitebeard Special. So this one is in uh, the Spiral Crux. So for those of you that are kind of new, uh, this was um, Grungy's Realm, Twisted by Zinch. And uh, this story is about refounding a a tavern that had been founded previously in the Spiral Crux. Um, but then they were driven out by the age of chaos and now coming back to refound the tavern in the exact place that it was before. And I hear you saying, why would you do that? Like, that just doesn't sound like a great idea. Um, to me, this very much felt like, um, I, I was able to go into a distillery and open and they talk about how the water is such a specific water that everything changes. If you go anywhere else, it felt very much like that for this. And it's because of the ale that they make here. Uh, and specifically, um, there is a, uh, a special ale that they make every year. And we get, uh, the character of Brita, who is the first kind of character introduced. Uh, And so she's a female uh, and she starts out super young. Um, and we see her talking with her, her father, Bjarn. Um, and then they reference their grandfather, Bragnor, um, and a couple of other, like, cast of characters that are the locals. Um, and, like I said, they this is very much a, okay, we're talking about the dispossessed here, honoring ancestry. This yeah. tavern is built exactly the same to there, every detail there, they can imagine.
0: There was a moment very early in this story before I knew where I was headed where uh, she kind of tiptoes down the stairs. And she, yep. like, she's going through the... the drinking hall or the the main room and people aren't noticing her like including some elves
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh and i was like wow like i i didn't even know what realm we we're in yet at this point um mm-hmm. i i was entertaining the possibility that she was a ghost like i was like i don't know maybe, <laughs> I've, maybe I've read too many like warhammer or it, it ended up clearly not being that but yeah uh it, it's in, I, that's one of the things i like about uh a set of like a collection of short stories like this is because it, they could take any kind of crazy direction they want so mm-hmm. um and that's, mm-hmm. I, I like the uh, the the just dis- repeated discovery I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. This was a fun uh, fun little story for um, a, a different way of looking at Dwarden. Um, I felt mm-hmm. like, um,
2: and, and it did a great job of of sort of giving you a picture into the mindset mm-hmm. of the um, the dispossessed as they came back to the mortal realms after the realm gate wars to resettle and, and just what a point of pride it was for them to be able to return to the land of their ancestors because Azir was never home for them. Right. Mm. Even though these particular Duarden probably never lived in Shaman before that, um, Brita's grandfather resettled it. Um, they knew that this was their land this this was where they were from mm-hmm. um and so it harkens back to that oh yeah there was something before the age of chaos mm-hmm. um a good time that that they were looking back to
1: mm-hmm. yeah so when you're talking about that davy where she slips down the stairs um she first encounters this old dwarden on a bar stool. Mm-hmm. um we're pretty clear at this point that like oh we have, this is the white dwarf this is Grumbrindal. But he has a different name. Um, and there are two other specific things that are called out, is that his, his stein, he has a stein that he, um, we find out later, is hung behind the bar, and then also an axe called Old Reliable. Um, one of the, the, the fun things I like about the stein is that they talk about the rune, mm. and we know that that's Bugman's rune, because, yeah. you know... We know that that is, but that's not <laughs> something that's really spelled out. And so it's something if you're new from WHFB, you're going to know. But if you didn't, it, it kind of goes over your head. Mm. Um, but he, uh, the the old Dwarden here, is really the master tester. Like he, he will taste this bearded special that they have every year. And he'll be like, ah, it needs a little bit of this. Oh, we need a little mm-hmm. bit of that, right? And And her father is very smart and says, oh, by the way, we're fixing that, right? And, and the, the tavern that we're talking about here is just full of all these different people, like full of life, full of laughter, full of everything. Um, and the, we get this different kind of approach from the last story, whereas in the last story, the white dwarf is there for the entire story. In this one, he shows up and then we get a time skip. One of the, the not classical uh, tropes, but like one of the ways that we tell stories sometimes in AOS and from there, we come back, and now Brita is now 19, instead of this little girl sneaking down the stairs, right? And we understand that every year he comes to taste the bearded special, every year he gives this idea. Um, and then we get a little bit of a history of Brognor, who is her grandfather, founded this tavern, and he's the one who received the tanker to begin with, and he keeps it behind the bar just so he when he comes when the white dwarf comes that he will be there for him. So because he's been asked to store it. Right. And we also find out sadly that her father is slowly dying. Um, and we have a couple more of these time skips and things get worse and people aren't coming, uh, as much as they used to. Um, we start to get some, some violence and other stuff showing up. Um, people, uh, I, I did like this moment where a wine drinking elf, that's obviously a wanderer, I had another great line here um, where he says, you know, maybe maybe you should just leave like it, it's getting unsafe and maybe this is bad. Yeah. And and he says, quote, if only my people had had the foresight to stay and die. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Aaron, I can hear your heart hurting right there uh, for the, for these wanders um, with that. It was, it was such a great moment for me. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then turns out um, that when the white dwarf came the last time he recommended this specific herb be put in and lo and behold, they have night haunt, and the the seed in the beer is helping them to heal these night haunt wounds, right? So a, a bit of a prophetic uh, almost idea of going on here. So And then we get this slow, everyone just starts to leave. All the the people that were crowding in are leaving. All this cast of characters of the village. One of them slowly goes off in the middle of the night, um, never to come back. Another one dies on the road. Um, and so Brita um, is talking to the white beard, and his father has just died, and he hasn't been for a couple of years. And she's trying to deal with this, and she's like, "So how long did you know my father was going to die?" And he says, you think you're the only one or you think he was the only one. And this moment of him knowing what's going on and watching like a long, a big theme of this specific story with Grombrindel is the pain of watching this slow demise, the pain of watching, you know, people die and things move on. And uh, we get this kind of final showdown as it were, where the, uh, the bar cellar itself in the tavern uh, starts to have noises come down from it and they, she goes down to check it out and turns out her ancestors are rising from their crypt, which should never happen because they had these runes brought in and this stone from Azir. And, and so she's faced with this final moment of what do I do, right? Um, how do I um, approach this problem? Because this is my grandfather's land, my grandfather's tavern. And, uh, she finally makes the decision to grab the tankard, to grab the axe and to leave the tavern. And it was only at this moment that I realized this is the only moment in the short story where we are actually outside of the tavern. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, good point. And as she leaves the tavern, the white dwarf is standing there being like, Oh, good. You made the right choice. Right. I told your grandfather not to build here and there's no reason to die for things that aren't worth dying for, right? Basically, and now we need to move on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it it's, for those of you who don't have a great knowledge of the dispossessed, this is the opposite of what the dispossessed are known for and the opposite of the advice that she gets earlier. So um, definitely a twist. So what did you guys think about this one?
2: So a couple thoughts that I had um, about this one. Uh, early on, you know, I love to look at just that, that Duarte and stubbornness, um, and pride that they're, they're coming back to the land that, that they had lost before the age of chaos. And, um, and then how they credit Whitebeard's advice with the success of their family. Um, the input that he has on the special every year is why they've done so well, why they're, they're surviving so well. And so then it's surprising as you're uh, reading or listening to the story to see it decline over time and think, well, this guy's helping him out. Why is it, why is it this happening? And what you come to realize is you're seeing the movement of time from post realm gate wars up to the beginning of the soul wars. Yeah. Uh, And so that was the other neat thing of this is you see this, this character in Brita go from uh, a child all the way to a a fairly old lady. Um, And that whole lifetime takes place between these two periods that for us were essentially first edition and second edition of of Age of Sigmar. Um, So you may not always have a a conception of how much time occurred between those, those two events. So I thought that was a really neat, thing to have in there. And then to see, you know, how widespread the effects of the necroquake were. Um, My son got a kick out of, you know, like, oh, you know, anytime we hear in black library stories, just the effects of the necroquake and the soul wars. And in this, it was, well, now the cellar that they've had where their ancestors were buried underneath them the entire time suddenly isn't safe because things have changed within the realms
1: yeah. And, and there was one last little detail I want to point out, uh, which is that each time that he comes, he leaves that night. And the last time mm. she says, please stay. And he's mm. like, but, but I, I can't, I have things to do. And she's like, please, for me. And so for that one night he stays, but yeah. he says, quote, but someone will pay. Right. Yeah. So we're starting to and understand. He looks, go ahead.
0: Oh, he looks, he looks so tired. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, that is like an ongoing thing. Often he will show up and he just looks exhausted. And so it's this guy who's got like, you know, some, we're not really sure what the limit of his power is, what the extent of his power is, but it, it is limited in some way. Like clearly he's exhausted and, you know, it's just this, uh, it's clear that he can be in many places at once, but obviously can't be everywhere at once if, uh, you know, or or, you know, like just he has to make some sacrifice. Like he's, it's, you can see that the exhaustion is probably coming from this constantly deciding, like, do I stay in comfort this one Duarden here in this ale house, uh, or do I go to this other place where I'm needed? Um, and it uh, it gives a little bit of tragedy to his character, uh, which is yeah, which is cool. Uh, the uh, you know to talk about our unifying things with this uh, at the end where he's where that wisdom that uh, that he's bringing where he goes um she tries to return the tanker to him and he says keep it build again somewhere else anywhere else if the beer is good enough then the duarden will come and perhaps others too turn no one away and here he's speaking you know not just uh, you know, like the traditional dwarven thing is is isolationism, right? So not just about like the holds in the mortal realms that um kind of sealed themselves up uh during the Age of Chaos, but all going all the way back to the world that was, you know, that was a thing where at the end times that was a you know, for a long time as uh much of much of the story of of the old world was the dwarves kind of sealing themselves away um during during the tough times. And so he's uh he's seeing that as as something that uh worked against them in the long run. Right.
1: All right. Uh can we move on to the maker's mark? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. Uh not at all the reference to the whiskey, I swear. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh this is a this is I, I was excited about this one from the first moment I read it in the White Dwarf because um this short story is set in Hish. Uh, And this is one of our first actual stories that we got to see um, in that realm. And I thought it was super fun. Um, So basically what we have is this Jordan engineer named Rickhorn, Macazarin, um, and he is wandering through this Hishian wilderness. Um, And uh, what we get is we're in the mountains of Sayar, uh, which is a specific place, and he's basically fighting this test. And the test is literally to pass through this wilderness, and it talks about how this has to be done alone. And so, we get some really some really wild actual things here. Um, it talks about how um, the there are predators in this wilderness, and some of them are ravenous promises, right? Like so, predators of thoughts, uh, because in the realm of light, um, the 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 realm stone is actually these, these beams of light unless they're collected and coalesced. So um, it's, it's different. It's a different idea. Um, There is no night uh, because we are in the realm of, of light. So the sun never sets. So he has these cool little like blackout sunglasses. um, Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Yeah. Um, We, we get this interesting thing where he has uh, an ancestor statue that he, um, he prays to. So that was kind of fun. A little idea Um, And he goes down to sleep and he's woken up by this battle and he fights a white beaded engineer. Hmm. Wonder who that is. Um, And he's fighting an elementor, which is those things that are the, 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 the mountains, right? That they have these masks that they put the mountains on. And then they become these massive statues that help fight with Lumeneth. But this one is the form of a broken wall. Uh, so really things are confused and, and predatory. Um, and uh, so he helps this uh, white beard ancestor to um, defeat this elementor and then they share food. And then Mekrazen offers, refuses an offer to be taught at the moment. And he says, quote, I'll hold you in debt a while longer, which I thought was a great, um, a great Jordan touch here, uh, really emphasizing the. The um, Iron Weld is what we're getting here, but also a, a bit of a despos- dispossess as well. Um, and it uh, turns out that Mikrazin is actually the third person of his family to make this journey, and no one has made it yet. Um, and he has to leave the, uh, the ancestor because this journey must be made alone. Um, and uh, he invokes the names of Alaric the Mad. Bugman, the brewer, and Malachi McKyson, which are, again, those are uh, WHFB references um, from Age of Chaos, or the War of Chaos and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, But he does eventually make it to this town called R Eskenaf, which is just absolutely beautiful, and he immediately becomes downhearted because he's there to share the things that he has made as an engineer. And as soon as he gets to the city, he's just like, what am I supposed to do? Like, nothing here is going to be even close to impressing him. Yeah anybody uh and to highlight this point we meet a character called enris um and everything that he has is just stunning and um is just like okay i'm done uh and he just ends up drinking in a tavern (laughs) (laughs) and uh we encounter again gormdahl um and he shows gormdahl what he has made and it's just it's basically a really good tool it's a spyglass that is made from this um quartz that is taken from a specific mountain in the realms and it's really good like it's the best spyglass you can make Uh, but he's just like it it looks terrible compared to everything that these lumineth are making and um the gormdahl is like okay we're gonna we're gonna fix this but what did you make for yourself like you made this beautiful thing but how have you like actually express yourself in your forging, right? In your art. And um, so Gormdahl takes him to a forge, and he makes something that he wants to make, um, which is basically just beautiful lenses. So instead of making a tool, he just makes a beautiful thing from the the sources that he has. And of course, um, we end with him showing off these beautiful lenses and everybody loving him and then this other character this Lumineff who is so haughty in the last one almost starting a fight with him because everybody's looking at his stuff at, at the Gordon's mm. stuff instead of his and then Gormdahl steps in and they're like hey maybe we can do something together um, Yeah. so uh, what are you guys thoughts on that one
0: Uh, so this was this is a very low conflict one right like there's the one there's uh, and I'm talking like Physical conflict. There's the one battle with the element or the the rock wall thing, and then everything else is is just this kind of uh, cultural discussion. And uh, I don't I don't know a ton about uh, the realm lords. Uh, I like some of again, like I'm kind of in this for a lot of the the wisdom um, that uh, that is being dispensed. Uh, At one point, you know, where he's getting the pep talk from. Uh, from Gormdahl, it says, uh, you know, those things are beautiful. We're talking about the elven artifacts. If you know your craft, and trust me, the Ciari do know their craft, but they take their inspiration from their Realmstone and from their light. We're Duarden. The spirit of our craft comes from someplace much deeper. Uh, and that was kind of a fun distinction to make, uh, to, to think about it in those terms. Because that, you know, some of that competition has existed in the past. It was like, who is the better craftsman? You know, the Duarden or the, the elves, you know, because they each have their their forge gods. Um, but again, you know, if you say, what is he doing here? You get to that thing. Uh, I'd wager you have a lot to learn from each other is, is kind of the ending line. Uh, so not just, you know, just kind of building bridges throughout, like it's traditional for dwarves to hate elves, right? That's, that's a thing dating back into the war of the beard or war of vengeance or whatever you want to call it. Um, and to, to see that the, um, the white to Ron Brindle is, is making strides to try and build those. Harry, do you, do you get anything from this? Yeah.
2: Yeah, So, uh, I mean, uh, my son's a huge Lumineth fan. uh, And so listening to this, I think this may have been his favorite short story out of uh, the entire book. And it's because, um, he knows a ton about the, the lore of the Lumineth. So as soon as he heard that they were in Cyar and he was going to this, this, uh, engineering competition, he was like, Oh, he's in trouble. Cause he, he knew that the, uh, the Sayari were, were also great, um, artisans. And so it was fun to see that, that play between the Ironwell Arsenal and the, uh, the Sayari as, you know, the, basically the, the foremost engineers in the two races and how they were, were competing in a non, uh, nonviolent way. Um, though it did come close to violence a couple times. <laughs> um, I didn't pick up on the, the Elementor being in the form of a broken wall, um, when I was listening to it. And that may have just been because, you know, I was driving as well. Um, so in my mind, I took that to be one of the, uh, spirit of the mountains, uh, yeah. like a wild, a wild spirit of the mountain that, that, uh, Grom Brindle was fighting. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just hadn't picked up on that detail there.
1: Yeah, no. I, I and one of my favorite details about this one was also the log that he kept. That was the log that was kept by his father. That was the log that was kept by his grandfather. Mm. Um, just a fun little uh, note that was cool.
2: Yep.
0: There was a there was a uh, cool uh, thing where you know he's setting up for camp for the day. He's getting ready to put those goggles on. He lays out traps mm-hmm. and uh, like. They're weird. They don't look like something they would catch the foot. I can't remember what the first thing, catch the foot of something. But the the second item was like, it was like an Auric or a Kurathi or Kurnathi. And I was like, oh, Kurnathi, there they are. Yep. Let's hold out hope for Aaron that we've So, <laughs> at that point. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, I, I mean, it, it's just a fun thing about... Age of Sigmar lore is that there's all these little, like, Oh, are they going to dig back into Karnathia at some point? Like, oh, right. They, they leave those things hanging and they're available for us and for them to come back to whenever.
2: Right. And really, I, 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 feel like this whole book was a, a culmination of Easter eggs. Um, you know, so it really played into that, that fun with the, the Warhammer lore. Sure.
1: Paul, do you want to take us to protect with honor? Sounds good. All right. Um, so uh we have a Carrot on Overlord story next. Um, and we are in Ogu. Um, so again, one of these um first stories that we've seen in Ogu as well. Uh so we have this like this meeting of many KO apt- KO captains sitting around a table on a skyship, and one of them is a Gruncor um captain. And there is a mysterious box. And then they have a vote to open the box, um, which is unanimous. I'm going to open. jump
0: in. The, the Grun Corps captain is specifically a captain of a gun hauler. Yep. <laughs> so they're like, they're, they're like calling yourself captain. That's kind of grand for a, a two seater. What do you call the other guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I got I got a kick out of that. No, uh, and great. Th- the guy took it totally in stride. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a captain of my ship. What's up? <laughs>
1: That's the biggest ship the Grun Corps has, too. So it's, like,
0: <laughs> it's like, I'm an admiral. It, I got three of these. It, big, biggest ship they have that we see on the tabletop. I'm, I'm willing to believe that there's, a, there's Grunstock, uh, uh, bigger Grunstock boats out
1: there. It's fair. Yep. Sounds good. Um, so uh, they they have this mysterious box. They won't open the box. And then we have uh, Thorn Groom, uh, which is the Clinkarn captain reaches into the box, and uh, he acts like he's stung, and then weapons are drawn in response, and no one's fired, but the box is locked again. And then we cut to the deck of a different flagship. So we've got this kind of, like, mysterious... Um, this mysterious box uh, that is propelling the story forward. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then we have this aforementioned gun hauler, um, and the... Uh, the... Gunner for the gun hauler, Hickram, is mysteriously missing. Um and we get this character Whiskarn, he has got a white beard, who's like, Oh yeah, no, I'm uh, so and so's third brother's, uh five sisters, uh, seven, uh third cousin. Y- yeah. You know. Right? Yeah. Um and uh so um they are going around um f- providing escort for this uh this frigate, this uh this fleet as it were. Um, and turns out they are attacked uh, in Olgu by a bunch of um, Order Serpentis on dragons, which is a yeah. cool moment. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they want the box. Um, so this gun hauler goes after one of the dragons um, and they're supposed to be staying near the flagship, but... Um, Whisker in particular is like, no, we gotta get this thing. Let's, let's shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot! Right? Yeah. And yeah. and so they eventually they do slay the dragon, but now they've lost the fleet.
0: Yeah, uh, and being lost, being lost is bad. Being lost in Ulgu is super duper bad.
1: And uh the gun hauler needs some repair as well. So
0: right, right. Uh, their their endron is leaking. They're barely hanging on to it. With one of their supports got nicked, so uh, they're they're uh low on fuel and uh not sure where they're at. And they've gotta they've gotta decide, you know, give up or or make a guess or how are we
1: getting out of here? How are we getting safe again? hmm And uh Brent, uh the captain, wants to run away. <laughs> and Whiskarn is like, N- no, no, that's not what we're doing. Um and um so they're having a conversation about whether or not they should just crash here or crash somewhere else. Like what, how are we actually dealing with this? Um, but yeah, they do manage to find the fleet again. Uh, but minus the captain who stuck his hand in the box and his ship as well. Mm. Um, and then, uh, we have dragons attacking again. We lose another ship. Um, and then a yeah. canary life talk, life taker lands on the gun hauler. Um, Yeah. Which causes them to crash land on the flagship itself.
0: Uh, yeah, I like this. It, it's like uh, they're coming in for landing. You know, like it, it feels very like aircraft carrier style, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you'd have this where uh, you know aircraft damage aircraft come in, land, and they'd some of them ended up having to just get pushed over the side. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in on a, a conventional aircraft carrier. Like it, it felt it had that taste of it to me, and it was kind of fun
1: yeah um and then the, the endron and the gun hauler are dead and then oh crap marathi's here <laughs> yeah i I love the
0: reaction uh like it, it isn't just like whoa who could this be like uh, the the overlords are like it's marathi we're screwed like they're like what are we gonna do but like you can't just give up you gotta try mm-hmm. but uh turns out witsgarn has got a little bit to him
1: yeah so he runs to the flagship uh, and he managed to uh, figure out a solution for the problem. So, um, so that's kind of our story that that's a quick in and out story, it felt like very much to me. Um, so um, what are your guys thoughts on that one? Yeah. I, I mean,
0: so there were things I like. So uh, Marathi and Wiskarn, they like recognize each other, you mm-hmm. know, they've, they've encountered each other before all oh, right yeah um, i i liked uh i liked the banter in in the gun haul. like i can see that little two-seater because uh, it it's a uh, Witzgarn is like uh eh, i think we need to go this way and uh uh brent is like well why that way and he says i don't know feeling an instinct and uh Brent is like, I'd rather stake my life and ship on Dwarven science. And (laughs) what's like, would you, would crashing over some other patch of Nekarth uh, be so awful. Are you looking forward to crashing onto this bit? For some reason I ought to know about, (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, so it's a thing where he, he still engages as if not an equal, at least like a, I guess a peer maybe Mm -hmm. rather than being like, Hey, check me out. Like he, he finds a way to, to have those interactions. Um, I did have a question. So we, we did actually get to see in the box, it was like a triangular artifact. Uh, when that one Dwarden reached in, it, it pricked his finger and there was a drop of blood that got absorbed into it. It's clearly valuable to Morathi. Do I don't know what this is supposed to be. Are we supposed to know what this is,
1: Paul? Um, or is it a mystery to you as well? I didn't get the feeling that we were supposed to know what it was, um, okay. but it is quite possible. It just escaped my, my grasp as well. I'm not as well versed on the daughters of Cain in specific. So,
2: yeah. I, unfortunately, Dune has entirely ruined, um, any mysterious boxes that you reach into for me. So that, that was all I could think of.
1: <laughs> Fair. It,
0: it is, uh, you know, so they've crash landed on their, uh, on the, on the ship. And I, you know, I, I like kind of highlighting the enjoyable lines, um, uh, Brent is coming down, talking to the Admiral. Uh, and he says, the Admiral's like, well, that box is none of your business. And he says, well, I just passed Marathi on my way in here and she wants it. So as of this moment, I'm making it my business. So (laughs) (laughs) better not complain if you want to make it back in one piece. And he's like the shadow Queens here on my ship. Yeah. My gunner's keeping her busy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Just like you do. Uh, and he, he throws the old line out where, uh, uh, you know, cause when he first meets Witzgarn and he's trying to place him, Witzgarn kind of passes it off. So he says, uh, he was like, my gunners keep him busy. Hickram? No, Witzgarn Who's Witzgarn From old Jaunty's boat. You know, old Jaunty. <laughs> he doesn't, nobody knows that. It's just <laughs> something that he made up, but it's, it's great. So, uh, yeah. Um, so I, I didn't get quite as much of the, the wisdom other, other than maybe like, Hey, like sometimes hanging on to the treasure is, uh, you know, not worth it. Like you, you you know get your get your priorities right um in in the moment i guess but
1: i feel like there's a little bit of that when he's talking when they were lost and figuring out what mm-hmm. to do right oh that's but, a good point sure um honoring your oaths and like actually attempting to be <laughs> yeah, like yeah. ah, oh we lost them we're done
2: oh well yeah. we're done yeah i guess uh the other thing that that struck me about this is it you know it it does a good job of looking into kind of the the legalistic decisions by committee type um, mentality that the caradron have adopted. And I think by some regards, the Caradron are probably the most evolved or, or departed from Mm. uh, old world Duarden. And so Wiscarn's character in this is kind of a, uh, a person who can give them a callback back to to the core of their character, mm-hmm. um, and, and take their attention off of just um, you know adventuring for profit, yeah, and and that there are other things that are other values that are deeper and stronger than just the the, the next expedition or the next profit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And um, so moving on to the next one um, Graveyard of Legends. So we're in Arimentia. Uh, so we're in the Great Parch. Uh, so this is the F- Realm of Fire. Um, and we get some familiar characters uh, for people who have read Black Library before. We get Malineth um, and Gotrich Gurnison, as well as uh, a character called Wittrum. Um mm-hmm. So we're mid battle. Uh, versus night and we have a character called Dethan as well Nethan Mardwyd uh, very 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 Welsh name thank you David Cameron, for that <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so they're in a battle but um Dethan is like messing around with some instruments that he's got laid out on the ground <laughs> like he's like Malenith Gotrick you figure this out I'm 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 reading my instruments right now like there are yeah. more important things going on <laughs> Um, and it uh, turns out he's doing a survey of magic levels for uh, the white fire court. Um, so he uh, is measuring the magic around this specific area. And as the fighting is going on, all of a sudden the dials sink to zero, which is bad because uh, he's mm-hmm. making a survey and zero shouldn't happen. And here we have Gotrick entering. Um, and he promptly explodes with rage and the waystone zone that uh, <laughs> Duffin is supposed to be taking measurements for uh, cracks and falls. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> well, crap. There goes like a year's worth of work because apparently what he's doing is measuring these specific waste zones, And he's been doing this for a while. Um, and we get another Dwarden entering, Witram, um, who mm-hmm. has a white beard. Weird. Um, so... Um, the, one of Deffen's instruments not only uh, reads zero but is also broken so um, the real problem though seems to be, as opposed to what Deffen wants everybody to be concerned about that there is some death magic rising where, they're, where they are now um, and the temperature starts to drop um, and uh, Witram is like we need to fix this now, that waystone is here for a reason and um, so they end up finding a pair of pillars uh, that is around a tomb, and they meet a Dwarden race knight and his army. Now, this was interesting because I think we've read in a couple of battle tomes, um, or at least one in particular, where we've heard Grungy talk about hiding the Dwarden souls from Nagash. Um, so um, I think in particular, it talked about how Nagash could not find them And Sigmar was asking Grungy how he had managed it. So uh, it is not not, uh, completely unique, but very irregular to have a Dwarden wraith, um, as well as his fighters with him. Um, And Witram and Gotrek go to fight the dead Dwarden, and Witram says, quote, It's my debt to be honored. Um, which is an interesting thing for him to say. Um, and then Defin gets Gotrek to the White King by pushing him into an oubliate realm and back out again, which uh, always <laughs> not a great choice um, <laughs> <laughs> to throw Gotrek into another realm to get him back out again. And Witcher um, says they need to break the pillars, not get the White King. Um, and it turns out that the pillars are overloaded by the Necroquake and now are not draining right. Mm. And so they, they enter the tomb and they strike Ringgold's effigy and he disappears. The job is done. Um, so that is the end of this story. Very action heavy.
2: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Which got trick. So obviously, yeah, I, I love this one. So, so we've listened to realm slayer and realm slayer, um, uh, part two. I've just blanked out on the, Full name Blood of Blood of the Old. Blood of the Old World. That's what it is. Um, so we've listened to um, Realm Slayer and Realm Slayer Blood of the Old World multiple times, um, if for nothing else to hear um, Brian Blessed uh, <laughs> portray Gottrick in just the most perfect fashion. Um, but in Blood of the Old World, we're introduced to the Witram character. That's where David Geimer first introduced that character without fully letting on that it was uh, Grombrindel um, in disguise. Um, uh, but you have a couple of, of, uh, pieces of, of clothing, uh, clothing, particularly his cloak, which we see show up in some of these stories, um, as an identifying feature. Um, and it sort of establishes this relationship between Gotrick and Witram. So I think this story actually takes place. I don't know when it was published, but I think it takes place after Blood of the Old World. And so they they've already met. Um, but they're becoming, or they're, they're re-encountering each other. Um, one of the interesting things when I listened through it, I took the Dwarden uh, whites to just be, um, to be a white King and, and a, an army of Dwarden skeletons or, or, um, a grave guard essentially. And, um the classic lore for whites is that they're a, um, like a possessed skeleton. So I guess I didn't understand it to be actual duardin spirits or souls, um, inhabiting these just that it was their bones that were reanimated, um, by the realm of death and the necroquake. And, uh, which of course is still a disruption from the norm because the Duardan gods were supposed to have protected the Duarden uh, so that they could rest peacefully in death. And, and this has disrupted that, which, you know, we already talked about the, the necroquake has disrupted things everywhere. Um, so here we're seeing another picture of that. Um, and when they, uh, when they went in to the tomb and dealt with Ringel's effigy, um, there's a, a neat little throwback there, and I'm not sure if uh, David Geimer did this on purpose, but if you go back and reread um, William King's Troll Slayer, the first Gottrick novel, yeah, there's a scene where they go into a dwarven tomb and deal with a, um, a, a dwarven ghost of of uh, an ancestor and the the imagery here was very very similar um it was for me a really fun callback of gotrick once again going into a dwarven tomb and dealing with um the the restless dead and and helping them find peace again
0: that's cool that's a connection i had not uh had not made i I read that but probably i don't know
1: long time 20
0: years ago (laughs) yeah years
2: and years ago Yeah.
0: yeah cool Good find.
1: Um, I, I do have a response to that, actually, Harry. But we have to talk about the next story to get that response. And so first, I want to find out if Davey had any more thoughts.
0: No, I think you guys covered it. I, I, uh, I, I may have said before, uh, for whatever reason, and I, I've been trying to think of why. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll find the words for it uh, by the end of the episode. But Gottrek's never really been my favorite. I, I, I enjoyed the first uh, few books in the Old World. I, I think it's just like this. Uh, godlike power without godlike intentions, or something. It, it, it's hard for me to quite wrap my head around. Uh, and I, and to be fair, I've not. I think I've read this and maybe one short other short story with him in um in the mortal realm. So I'm not as familiar with his
2: mortal realms exploits. Uh, but well, to uh, be fair, uh, he is pretty much the worst slayer ever <laughs> because he can't fulfill his goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: But uh, it, I, I know a lot of people like him a lot, so I'm, I'm glad he's in there. Um, and it, it feels like if you're doing a broad spectrum of, of Duarden in the mortal realms, uh, it just seems only right and fitting to hit one of the most famous ones. Exactly. Absolutely.
1: All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible here uh, because yeah. this was the last white dwarf story. So the yeah. last two stories um, here are bespoke to this uh, book. So the, the last short story and the last novella. So I'm going to say, in contrary to what you just said, and I apologize, uh, at the beginning of the episode, let's do a quick um, spoiler-free um, as to what we have heard now and what like what we can expect going forward for these last two stories. Because there's a decent that. chance um, that there's a lot of people that have read the White Dwarf stories but not read the rest of it. That's yeah. fair we're gonna do a quick spoiler free for these two um what would you guys have thoughts on for me one of them would be that um we do deal with pretty much every dwarden race again um so that's an interesting little aside if you're thinking about that how about you davy what would uh, be a quick thought about what you would want to hear in the next one or what what, what people might want to know
0: it's it's tough it's tough to define what uh it, you're going to get some origins. You're going to get some real big picture stuff. You're going to get some underlying mythology sort of things um, is, is I guess what I'd say. Um, I recommended, I told Aaron, uh, you should read this. You won't regret it. And uh, he concurred with that assessment once he
2: was done. Right. Yeah. I, I think w- taking the white bearded ancestor the short story and Lords of Stone, Fire and Sky, the, the novella together as a pair, um, they both are culminations of the groundwork that was laid by the first short stories that we, we talked about, mm-hmm. sure. um, but they come at it from very different levels. So white bearded ancestor is going to be that 50,000 foot um, mythological, you know, without trying not to give any spoilers here, but it's, it's a big picture Hey, what's going on here? Oh, that's what's going on here. And then Lords of Stone, Fire and Sky is a ground level nitty gritty. Here's how that's playing out and here's how it all can tie together in one instance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think both of those are fair. Um, I just listened to the last uh, Pocket Realms compilation, Davey. One of the things oh. you guys talk about is that you like having stories that taught you something you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like both both these stories are going to teach us something we don't know before. The White Bearded Ancestor in particular um is is a massive. Oh, it's a bunch of stuff I didn't know before, right? Um yeah, yeah. And, uh, the the other things that you guys talked about is like um how a culture functions or like different aspects of a culture that you hadn't heard before. Um mm-hmm. and I think that we actually get a decent amount of that for loads of storm, fire and sky which I thought was a fun little thing. Um, the last thing is not a massive spoiler, but it is a slight spoiler. But I'll quick throw it in here uh, because um, I think it is important, is that we have a, um, an ogre perspective in mm. Lords of Stone, Fire, and Sky. Yeah, It's actually relatively extensive. So um, if you are interested in ogres, um, I would definitely recommend reading Lords of Stone, Fire, and Sky uh, because yep. there is some good ogerness in there. So
2: very good. Yeah.
1: All right. So I'm going to go ahead and quick um, go into the spoiler phase um, for <laughs> the last short story before I hand it off to Davy for the uh, novella itself. Um, so white bearded ancestor. Um, so when you go through the, the list of characters, it's like, Oh, these are all gods of the mortal realms. Mm. Got it. Um, which again, we've had a couple stories like this before, a couple short stories. And it's always super fun when you get these little, um, like you were talking about 50,000 foot view. Um, so we start off at a furnace um, and uh, we are, have Grungy and, um, and um, we've got some conversations going on. And we're at a ridgeline overlooking something called Skarn Karak. Um, and the Fireslayers are battling, and Grungy is wistful. Um, so this is something we have not seen Grungy be before, yeah. to my knowledge. Um, and we have a Lightning Zephyr speaking. Um, and that's Sigmar. And so we get this, uh, this conversation between the two gods, and it's kind of like things are falling apart. And Sigmar's like, yeah, I could help you. And Grundy's like, yeah, no, um, that's not who I am, and that's not what I expect of my people.
2: And the right? Fire Slayers are, are fighting against um, Kornate Bloodbound, I believe, mm-hmm. which I took to mean like this is the Cornet the invasion of mm-hmm. um, Akshi that we're yep. seeing.
1: Yep. Yeah, um, and We do a quick scene change and we're in Sayar in Hish um, like we were in the, the other story we have set in Hish um, and we have some Dwarden fleeing their homes uh, as they're destroyed um, we make it to the top of the mountain and there's a white beard fixing a steam thingy mm-hmm. but he knows mm-hmm. that Grungy is here so we're getting a little bit different perspective of him um, then there's also an elf that can see him um, they talk and they know it's all ending, but the elf is also, um, Teclis or Tyrion. Um, I don't know. I don't remember which Could be a good conversation. Um,
2: but he refers uh, to his brother who can see. Yeah. And so my son shouted out as we were driving down the road, <laughs> it's Tyrion. <laughs> because he, he, again, he's very into Elvish lore.
1: All right. I, yeah, I will defer what's to kinda- your son then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's what's persisting through all this is that he's he's uh he's going unseen right like he's uh, all these places he's going it's it's a rarity that anyone notices him right like he's, he's choosing to go unseen throughout the realms
1: mm-hmm. well and he's being offered help from these other gods to help save the duarden in each little story mm-hmm. um uh and then we have um the maker digging and he's in the bearded dragon and it's burned. We get another voice. Um, and it's Nagash, um, offering some kind of partnership, uh, some kind of, no, he's just being whiny and, uh, (laughs) we we don't want to talk to him. Um, so, uh, grungy banishes Nagash, and turns the bones of the Dwarden to lead. So that Nagash cannot raise him, which I I thought was Mm. a super cool little detail.
2: Right, right, and, and you see in there like a little bit of Grugny's attitude towards Nagash. This this uh, uh, occurs after the um, the Pantheon has been broken up, and Nagash is referred to as the one who betrayed Sigmar.
0: Yeah, I mean this this is just a uh, you you joke about Nagash being whiny. This is just a really fun. I mean, all these exchanges between the gods are really great reading like I, I loved every minute of these um and they they talk to each other uh you know nagash is using a little bit more grandiose language the dead are mine possess mine to do with as i will that was the concession that all the pantheon made to me long before the barbarian king ever raised his grand folly above mount Celestian. uh we saw that back in pantheon uh, and then his response is, I keep my promises old bones. I thought you knew me better than that. I, I love that. He calls them old bones for, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. it's it, cause it's his thing of like, they've known each other a really long time, you know, so you be cash, be casual with them.
1: It's fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, then we move on to Aramentia, uh, which is where one of the other stories was, um, and it, it is falling and only the white bearded Dwarden and his family are left um and the white-bearded dwarden is going to secure the grave of Ringle mage maker, his grandfather so mm-hmm. um turns out that that story that we just read was him actually making sure his grandfather's soul was settled after the necroquake which I nice. thought was kind of cool um and then we uh we have Karak Azaruk in shaman also being destroyed um and so grungy is there but he turns the falling pillar and he saves a group of dwarden and now a lord of change sees him
0: yeah and they don't i mean it's great like the dwarden don't know they're like oh my gosh i thought we were toast and like he doesn't even reveal himself but like just in that moment you know just his very presence is like holding things together you know as as the maker which they prefer to him as like he he you know prevents the the unmaking of things just by his very presence Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me a second here as, as, cause the, I think it's a demon saying, I see you see me here we are. Like, I think that's the Zinchian demon talking to him. I was trying to figure out what God it was, but then I, I realized it must be this demon that he's about to fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, oh yeah. Was that, was that perhaps more apparent
2: in the audio book? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think that, that jumped out pretty clearly.
1: And then the, uh, the maker's body. Gets massive, and he just obliterates the Lord of Change. Um, and uh, the Maker grins as the first karadron Overlords launch.
2: Yeah, what yeah. a
1: moment! Yeah,
2: yeah. So there's um, there's some references to the old Karax in Shaman in the book Git Slayer, um, and. Uh, this, this is one of the things that I've paid attention to ever since age of Sigmar came out is you've got the, uh, fire slayers with Kazakhs. You've got the, um, carriage with Baraks. And then any reference to, uh, Karaks are like mountain holds that they don't seem to inhabit anymore. And so there's references to these kind of like ruined places, um, that are that are still referred to as uh, Karaks from the age of myth or early in the age of chaos. So this was a, a neat reference where it's seeing one of those old Karaks being destroyed and the uh, the Duardin are fleeing and this group isn't going to Azir. They're going to become what we later on know as the Karajan. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. No, it's a super cool moment. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, what is it? He says, uh, like, I, I don't know, it's just such a like when you realize what's happening because I didn't recognize this moment for what it was, but uh, until until they were saying like until it was these airships and I was like, oh my God, this is what's like this is it's such an awesome moment uh, mm-hmm. they had they had risen literally to the challenges of the era, they had outgrown their infancy and surpassed him as he had known, hoped they would it's like oh yes, and this this is like this is the gamble he took by being the hands off God.
2: You know. Right. Yep. Right. Super cool. Exactly. And we've heard references to that in the, in the battle tomes, right? You know, you've heard reference to, uh, Grugni being at, at some point saying, no, I can't stay here and help you guys in person because you won't grow into your potential. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, I've got to go more hands off. I've got to go to Azir, um, whatever. Cause we know he goes on to help Sigmar, in the uh the creation of the stormcast. So
1: well I tell you, if you want to hear more about Grungy and uh how he deals with being hands off with the Dwarden, you really want to have a read of the new Caradron Overlords Battle to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just gonna lay that out there. Um might deal with that quite a bit. I can't wait. Um the uh the, the the story ends with the maker back at his anvil, loosing ether gold with each swing, because that's where ether gold comes from. Oh man! Um, and uh, he is forging the legend of the white bearded ancestor, and Grombrindle arises to right the wrongs of Grungy. It's like oh, not just
2: okay. re, not just forging. He they use the term reforged. Yeah. Which there's the only place we've seen the term reforged in the, the lore so far was the stormcast. Yeah. And so here you have this idea that like Krugny invented reforging. He had the power all along. I'm not saying that, that Sigmar didn't bring something to the equation, but did he teach Sigmar how to reforge souls? Maybe. Yeah,
1: there was definitely a, a, a lot of talk of how the first Stormcast were. Th- that was part of the story, right? Uh, if I remember right. correctly. Yeah. So, no, good point. Good point.
0: Uh, and there's there's a great moment at the end here. Uh, it's it's basically he's this is where where the white dwarf, where the white dwarden, um, Grombrindle is is kind of getting his receiving his purpose from uh grungni and they're not they're not quite peers but they're closer to equals than than others right in the way they talk to each other um but uh i I really this is this is vying for that other line for for some of my favorites he says the duarden have become strong through their trials as i had always trusted that they would but they've also become divided it's time for them to feel my hand again to remake that which was once whole but we duarden aren't so quick to forgive a wrong done to us and the wrong i did to them was great indeed uh, and I was like, man, that is that is some cool self-awareness. Like he right. he did what he had to do, but he knows it was like, it was tough. Like the toughest love and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Uh, and Grom side and picked up his axe, best make a start then,
2: hadn't I? And right. Because Gromley knows that, that he can't fix it. Right, yeah, yeah. he broke it. He can't fix it. Yeah, but he hopes that Grombrindle can. Um, my son hypothesizes that that Grombrindle represents kind of like an avatar of the will of Grugni in the in the realms. Not unlike the way Gotric represents an avatar of the will of Grimnir in in the realms. Um,
1: Not, but unlike. Um- what is the, the guy with Galmaraz? Represent the avatar of Sigmar.
2: <laughs> of in Sigmar the in the realms. Right. Right. And so then the, the question remains when are we getting our Ground Brindle model?
0: Uh, well, <laughs> the bigger question, another question is because uh, he says, uh, you know, the, the centuries have passed since the age of myth have been too long and bloody for them to follow me again, and Grimnir is not yet ready to return.
2: Mm. Dun, dun, mm. Dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, right. uh, I cool. mean, like to have almost nothing, and then we get a mention of Grimnir returning, possibly, and then we get Tyrion talking in the same story. Like, come on,
0: yeah, right, juicy, yeah. juicy, juicy, yeah.
2: such a fun story,
0: yeah. yeah. I, uh you know, just talking about it, I'm like, I got to read this again. I really enjoyed <laughs> this one a lot. So,
2: right, I, I and I know I, I beat this drum too much on the uh, on the Discord and on Twitter, but um man, I I really would love for them to do a combined Dwarden, uh battle tome so that you could, not unlike the the Orc battle tome, where you can take your, one of your three flavors if that's what you prefer, or you could do a combined Dwarden army and, and take a little of each.
0: Well, uh, your dream inches slightly closer to reality, possibly <laughs> in this, uh, final novella here in the Lord, right? of stone, fire and sky. And you can kind of, uh, everyone can figure that little puzzle out for themselves. That's a, uh, that's dispossessed fire slayers and character overlords. Um, we have a cast coming at you. Um, Primarily, so you have uh, Stral Ailsen and Brig, the daughter of Bregnar Grimnir. Uh, they are they're kind of a, a odd odd couple. They're having like a little bit of a tryst. It's a it's a Caradron and a Fire Slayer getting together. And the location we're at the Carag Daurkaz. Uh, it's uh, at the very edge of the Spiral Crux. So we're in Shaman. Um I think I found that name meant Volcano Goodhall or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it, it sounds it sounds better than the Dwarven. Um and we have all three factions. So uh dispossessed led by Kolrum, Dun Rakul, El Dunstotir, and Bregnar Grimnir. Uh they're all they all have different claims to this mountain, this uh Karag Darukaz. Right. Um uh, the uh, the fire slayers stayed throughout the age of chaos. Um, kind of held on to the deepest parts of it. The dispossessed uh, left uh, and then returned and captured uh, captured back from uh, the grots and other things infesting it. Uh, gained the upper parts, and then um, I think the the peak of it itself is is held by the overlords, and they're all they all have like some sort of claim to it, uh, be it, uh, we're the descendants of the people who are here, uh, and we never left or the actual, you know, like I have the better Royal claim as dispossessed or, um, I'm checking the contracts and the codes and you know, it's actually me that owns it. So they're, they're squabbling and infighting amongst themselves. Um, and that is the backdrop for the approach of the everwinter. Um, Kind of disturbingly, they, they're actually in open conflict. There's a couple battle scenes, mm-hmm. um, uh, where they're, they're full on fighting each other. Uh, uh, there's one where like a fire slayer is lopping, a, a, a uh, hand off and that hand mm-hmm. fires the gun, shoots the Arcanaut in the foot. Like it's like, Ooh, this is kind of kind of gnarly. Um, and we do see, uh, uh, by several different names, I think Azakar, Gromrun, and Wiram, uh, is uh grom is present and he's present like simultaneously on both sides so like when the dispossessed are fighting the fire slayers he's advising the kings on both sides like simultaneously uh and it's a really cool bit of writing where it'll switch from like he'll say one thing over there and then it'll like switch over to the other perspective and you, you it's it's like flowing back and forth between the two sides i, I really like how that was set up
2: I don't know how it was in the, uh, in the written book, but in the audio book, if you hadn't listened to the short stories to get those other names for Grom Brindle, you wouldn't have immediately picked up on oh. the fact that he was those, those characters. Cause they were all in advisor type roles, but they were different enough in their appearance and mannerism that you might not have picked up on it. But of course we were introduced to all these aspects of him in the uh, other stories.
0: Uh, so he is, he is trying to diffuse the situation. He's not having much success here. Um, and then all the time we, we get a hint that there's a, there's a storm coming. Um, and the, the overlords are, uh, kind of perking up because this, I, I love this like meteorological talk here. Like it, it's, it's such a great blend of sort of contemporary meteorology and like crazy AOS fantasy stuff. Uh, but this is pushing like these aether gold deposits ahead of itself. And so, uh, it's like the here comes the perfect storm, you know. Like uh, we, there's a great haul to be had for anyone willing to to dare this like insanely intense blizzard. Uh, and Ail Durn's daughter is uh, she? She's like it's you know no. There's no reward without risk. We're gonna make this happen. Kind of mm-hmm. as- assemble a a fleet, and they. Uh, they they have the freedom to do this thing where they uh describe different dwarden skyships that uh we don't see in the game you know like a converted tanker here that couldn't possibly carry all this but it's going to carry much more than anyone anyone else could, could scoop up uh this is the point where our antagonists i mean besides the dwarden themselves they're kind of antagonizing each other just fine without the ogres thank you very much but uh uh Sharpa Longtooth shows up and it takes actually a while before I was a little confused about who's actually leading this. It it took a while before I realized that uh Sharpa has a um was he, he's a blizzard speaker? Do you mm-hmm. remember what his title was?
1: Yeah, the blizzard speaker is yeah. what you have done here. So it's a frost lord. Yeah. Um uh, so the Rock the, Belly. Yeah.
0: There's the lord Sturmer Rock Belly is like the actual leader, but Syarpa is the blizzard speaker. Mm-hmm. Um and so he's kind of the, the spiritual advisor, I think, uh where he can he can channel and speak to the Everwinter. And they have this big collection of beast claw and gut busters and bone splitters and iron jaws and cruel boys all uh all trying to stay ahead of this everwinter. And uh they've actually They've gone in and stolen something from the Everwinter itself. They've hauled this huge ice block out, and uh, for a little while it's a mystery. And then you come to to realize it's uh, it is a uh, old old Frost Lord Kragenfrier, um who who may or may not have been present for like one of Gorkamorka's last big stomps wogs around. Um, this is this. Is, Uh, uh, Sharpa himself is extremely old. Um, possibly, I don't know. I, it was a little confusing and and it's not like the ogres are like keeping great historical records, but he's, he's extremely old. And this, this, um, ogre in the ice block was a mentor to him, kind of taught him what he knew. Uh, and so there, uh, they're completing the Maw Path, uh, which they're looping back around like this thousand year loop and they're they're coming back and arriving uh, back at the same mountain that the Duarden are fighting over uh, because it might just be hot enough to melt, uh, melt their their prize out of its uh, block of Hmm. ice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's, this
1: is a fun like this is a different uh, approach to writing ogres than I, I had seen before. Um, Mm -hmm. I also really appreciate the similarity between um, Sarpa ends up being one of the main characters, right? So we have the main characters being advisors on both sides of this story. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a cool um, way of doing that. And and they both are smarter than they should be, right? And they both are... um, they, they would be better in charge, but realize that they don't want that responsibility and like they can't force it upon anybody else. So, yeah. yeah.
2: To a point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sierpa does, does make some moves. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but I just love, you know, so he gets challenged at one point because they're like, hey, you know, so I think somebody's like, hey, we took this from the Everwinter and the Everwinter wants it back. Like uh, this this Borgia needs to go back in. Uh, and so they brawl, but it, it ends up not even being to the death. Like they, he just starts telling a story and they're like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We're, you know, like it was unexpected for me. I was like, well, obviously this challenger is going to die and we'll just, it'll be like, Hey, look, you know, Siarpa is really powerful. But I was like, no, like he's, he's got this kind of charisma
2: to him, which is, which is pretty cool. And he loves this story. Yeah, yeah, he does. That was the yeah. interesting thing that they brought out about ogres is that they love stories and they're just filled with, I mean, obviously insatiable hunger, but the way they humanize that, I don't know if you should use humanize with ogres, but they did, you know, it was like, they don't choose to be hungry and they don't necessarily enjoy always being hungry, but they are always hungry and they have to pursue that.
0: Right, right. Uh, meanwhile, straw that, uh, that Caradron, he's, he's kind of the adopted son of, uh, of ale, uh, the, uh, the female Dwarden who is in charge of the overlords faction. Uh, he hasn't really been good at anything that he's done so far. Like he's still trying to find his place. Uh, he is trying to figure out a marriage contract. That's kind of this love story between him and Brig. But uh, he ends up going on this expedition, like he's going up, um, going up with the uh, the fleet to try and make this big haul. Uh, And there, I should find it. There's a pretty good exchange he has with um, with the uh, admiral who's sort of in charge of this expedition. Uh, This guy's like, uh, "Why exactly should I be?" You know, he's like. Uh, No doubt you attended one of the prestigious Skyfleet colleges then. Uh, He's like, no, I, 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 the first, this is my first time being gone from Barak Nar. It's like, oh, well you must be like really experienced on a, on a ship. And he's like, not really. He's like, "Uh, you must know all about being like on an icy deck. He's like, no, not really. He says, so help me understand why you are even getting to come to like be on my ship or help commandeer my ship. And, uh, Straw is like, well, you owe my mother a lot of money. And Hel- Helmetson was silent a while, then issued a salute. An honor to sail under you, Straw, Elson. May your command be short and profitable.
1: <laughs> like, yes, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Beautiful. that a lot because it, it very much brings to the fore that the, the-, the Caradron are a meritocracy. Right. Absolutely. And like, this guy hasn't done anything. Um, yep. But it was also really, really reinforced by the fact that the only reason he's on the ship to begin with is because yep. his mother is like, need somebody to watch over what's going on, but I need somebody that if they die, it won't be the end of the world. Um, <laughs> all right. My son's pretty terrible at everything. Yeah, so I'm just going to, I'm going to send him on the boat because like, I mean, he is my son. So therefore he carries weight. And like the, it kind of talks about how the only reason that she has a son is because she wants somebody for her money to go to, <laughs> like she wants to be in charge of where her inheritance will go. Eventually.
2: How and heartbreaking was it that she didn't even read the marriage contract yeah, no. that he brought to her?
1: And it is like, this is the most important thing. And like, she went, she's like, I signed contracts on Tuesdays. What day <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It's not a Tuesday. I'm not signing contracts on Tuesdays. <laughs> Thursdays. Are you Just, crazy? Oh. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was really well done.
0: Uh, meanwhile, back in the mountain, there's the aftermath of the of the fight. Uh Uh, notable here. They're kind of licking their wounds and they're verbalizing some of their resentments. Uh, There is a a priestess uh, who is stitching up the king and uh, the goddess whose icon she bore on a chain around her neck was reputed to be dead and a long time dead. But the priestesses of the dispossessed would need a better reason than that to change the robes they wore and the prayers they sang. Uh, So tip of the hat to Velaya. Not named, but we know yeah um so uh there it's it's same thing where you know they're they're wrapped up in their grievances against each other the the uh fires there's like they call the star spoiled unbaraki which is uh oath breaker in uh kazalid uh mm-hmm. pretty pretty rough thing to call somebody um from from their perspective so uh more squabbling, not, uh, not getting too far with that. Um, then, uh, that fleet gets beset by the storm. So it's up there and it gets hit and it's bad, right? Like they, they can't see where they are. They need to figure out how to navigate. So the, the ship that straws on goes, uh, goes down below the storm, tries to get a reading, like let's figure out where we are, comes out from under the, uh, out of the clouds and uh, discovers this big horde of ogres coming in and like, Oh, uh, they, I can't, their semaphore signals are not getting through the storm. And so straw actually innovates here. He uses a turret. Uh, he jumps, there's like a, a, a little belly gun turret. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, I like this sort of B 17 style reference. Yeah. Um, he gets in this and then and he uses it to fire is like, Three long bursts, three short bursts, three long bursts. So SOS, right? Yeah. But it's a, it's a warning in hammer tongue, quote unquote hammer tongue. Uh, it was a call back to like dispossessed style. So like the things they share where you would like, you can't see each other, but you can communicate by tapping hammer, you know, tap through, through the uh, caves. So he's trying to use that to like send a warning, like danger enemies present uh, up to the fleet up in there, hoping somebody sees
1: that. Yeah, because uh, what's obvious to us as the reader, but not obvious to them, is that the reason that this weather system is moving forward is because the Everwinter is following the ogres, and that's what's pushing the gold through. But they don't quite realize that, oh, it's actually the ogres that are bringing this storm. And so until this point, they're just like, this is my land. No, this is my land. No, this is my land. Oh, but there's gold. So I'm going to send people out to do this gold, but also fight over my land. And, yeah. oh, oops, there's an enemy army on our doorstep? Well, crap. Now what do we do?
0: <laughs> so uh, this, you know, uh, Grombrindle is still trying to fight the good fight, trying to get these guys together, trying to, trying to rally them, make them recognize the danger soon enough. And so you have this this, uh, I think it's like chapter 10 where it keeps introducing like so-and-so considered himself a sensible Dwarden. And it'd be like, this time we're (laughs) talking about a dispossessed, this time we're talking about a fire slayer. And like what they happen to be doing when they're quote unquote sensible is like wildly different. Like one is like flying through an ice storm. One is actively like berserker raging, you know, one is, you know, uh, in a, in a small cabin and, uh, there's a grombrindle gets to be like flying a gyrocopter in one of these which was it was fun to see a gyrocopter in there um and he's he's trying to warn people trying to get people together there's the, the um light the light the warning fire all that sort of thing um but the uh the uh ogres do have uh some cannons thanks to the gut busters and uh managed to shoot down the uh craft that this is aboard
1: dum 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 dum
0: yeah uh meanwhile back in the uh the mountain the different factions of dwarden are are kind of squabbling but they they get themselves together and there's a cool the kind of cliffhanger of the end of chapter 11 going into chapter 12 is that uh the ogres have come to parlay uh he comes holds hand up i'm not armed he's got like a raggedy white thing (laughs) uh tied to the end of a stick and uh this is like we were talking about, like, um, uh, Harry, you were talking about them, you know, for lack of a better word, humanizing these ogres. And, uh, yeah. uh do you, do you remember kind of this cycle that he's talking about? Like what, what his, uh, what his angle is in this?
2: Are you talking about, uh, Sharpe or?
0: Yeah, Ciarpa? Well, like, how does he, how does he go about, like, what's, what's his pitch to the, uh, to the, um, the collected heads of the Duarden?
2: Oh, right. So um, they had allegedly come to an agreement uh, the last time the uh, mob path circled around that if the Duarden would provide food and shelter, um, they wouldn't fight and they wouldn't be eaten. Mostly they want warmth and shelter um, is is the main thing. Uh, You know, the ogres are are followed by this Everwinter, but they don't enjoy it. You know, they they don't enjoy the cold. Um, They want heat and they they know that in this mountain, um, they have, uh, I think they called it Grimnir's Forge, like this, this source of heat that's just unbeatable, right? Right. And so that's what they want. They want to take shelter from the Everwinter and they want to enjoy this heat. Um, And that if you'll just let them in, um they're not gonna they're not gonna eat you. Yeah. Sounds we, a little bit like the big bad wolf and the <laughs> little pigs, but you know.
0: But apparently that's you know, so they, they're saying that's how they went. And th- what I love is the uh, different way that the different uh Dwarden factions respond to this. So mm-hmm. uh the the fire are like, hell no, we'll kill you, like let's just let's throw down, let's fight. Uh the dispossessed uh are like well, okay, let's check the let's check the books. And like, oh, it does look like there's an agreement. Well, we got to, we got to honor our agreements. And then the, uh, the overlords ale is going through and she, she's like, uh, I don't, is she a code right? She is a code, write, right? Right. <laughs> yep. uh, like, this. <laughs> uh, so she's, she's a code, right. And she is like, well, actually on this technicality, she's like statute of limitations on this agreement. Or like, is this guy still alive? Cause if none of the people who actually made the agreement are still alive, then it's void. Like going and so they all three like approach this and come to kind of different conclusions, Um but as you can predict, because this is a black library book, it's gonna break down into horror. Mm-hmm. So Yep. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: I I was even uh just a little little disappointed where when Scarpa came back and uh they they're like hey what's up like did you get us in? Is like ah they they said they needed time to talk about it. Uh, and they said, I can't believe you, I can't believe you said you'd let him, ha- let him have time. He's like, ah, I lied. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, Sharpa, You lied, man. Um,
2: <laughs> just getting to seem like it. one of the good ones.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but then it's fighting. And, and even now, like the, the Dwarden can't quite hold it together. The, the fire slayer is charge instead of holding the line. Um, uh, there is a uh, is a pretty cool fight where Bregnar Grimnir, uh he's he's on his magma droth going up against the uh, the Frost Lord um, Stormer Rock Belly uh, so it's a magma droth versus uh, stone horn battle and. Uh, Uh, although Bregnard lays some good licks on, on the frost Lord, he goes down gets speared through by an ice spear and, and kind of dies. And his, his last thing is like trying to spot his daughter, see if his daughter made it out, but he, Mm -hmm. he he doesn't see it. Like he, he's, he, as he, as he, as he vision fades, uh, he can see his forces retreating. Um, the ogres keep pushing up and they end up, uh, Getting to the top and and uh, this is another time where um Grom Brindle is there and he's like, Hey, look, like I know it's a Duarden thing to like stay and fight, uh, but like it's time to you know, sometimes you gotta pick your fights, and this is mm-hmm. one of those times and Corram's like, Hell no, I'm staying, I'm fighting. And uh, you get this good line, you're a stubborn fool, Colram, but you're Duarden right enough for better or worse. Uh, and that's again that kind of wisdom of of knowing the the weaknesses um
2: Kulram and colrum had thrown down the oath stone yeah, a, yeah and swore an oath that that he would he would not take any step back from that yeah right so yeah. Uh, yeah. and there you know you see a direct reference to the um to the model yep. of the um wow oh,
1: in the eighth edition blanked out on. Too. <laughs> For right fantasy right but like I do love that, like when they were in the hall with the Civil War previously. And he's like, he throws down the oath stone. Like we should stop fighting. I I threw down my oath stone. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I, like, like no no no, this is stupid. You're gonna die for no reason. But I threw down my oath stone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like you don't get how this works. I, it's I, the oath stone.
1: I, I can't I can't back down now. I threw down my oath stone. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had one other quick thing. I I thought that the battlefield here was kind of cool because they talked about it being this overlapping series of defenses that led up into the main door of the hall itself. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like, Oh, we're on a battlefield and it's straight across and there's, and it's like, Nope, we're actually fighting up and down the walls and, uh, through these different sets of defenses. So I thought that was pretty cool.
2: Right. And they talked specifically about the gates. Like they talk like, um, a uh, siege, uh, theory in here, like the weakest part of a, um, uh, of a fortress being the gates. And so, but not this one, because the gates were l- like some ridiculous thickness yeah. that they created, um, yeah. you know, cause they knew that that was going to be a problem. So they prepared for it. Yeah.
0: Uh, and the, the ogres, like they, I, again, if you want to empathize with them, like they're, they're stuck, like if they're slowing down to commit to the siege, they are really literally getting themselves between a rock and a hard place. Right. The, the Everwinter is pressing in. And so they have this urgency is like, we cannot, we cannot wait. We got to go. We got to go now. We got to make it happen. Uh, Colrum ends up facing off against the frost Lord and uh, courtesy of the damage that Bregnar inflicted is able to kill the frost Lord. Um, in what was one of the grosser uh, scenes in anything I have read in Black Library in a little while, uh, I think he's like sawing, he gets gets his axe into the Frost Lord, is sawing into him, and there's like all this fat is just like gooshing out. And uh, the Frost Lord's so hungry, he just starts eating it. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> yuck, super yuck. So, uh, <laughs>
2: so gross. So,
0: it uh, kills Rock Belly and then is uh, promptly dispatched by Siarpa. Siarpa like, you know, glad to have this it, earlier. is like, ah, oh, man, like the, the, uh, leader of the fire slayers didn't finish off this frost Lord. If anyone was going to do it's going to be him. Uh, and although they didn't know they were, you know, kind of working together, they were the, the two, um, Bregnar and Colrum kind of combined to take out this frost Lord. But, um, not only is Colrum killed, but he's like stomped into paste. um, as the as the um, Stonehorn moves on, um, so the the ogres are at the very gates. Meanwhile, down in Grimnir's forge, where shock of shocks, it is snowing, which is kind of unthinkable in this hottest of places. Uh, the white dwarf, the white dwarden, reveals himself like in his true form, and everyone's uh, it, it's it's you know everyone's like oh my god, like they it's just like an ancestral memory, like they as soon as they see him like kind of revealed for not just, you know, as or wear or, you know, Grom run, um, uh, they, they know who he is. And it's this thing where like, it's this cool thing where like, he kind of shifts back and forth between all these, like, you know, your vision is swimming a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if he showed up, it's, it's your time of need. Um, Meanwhile outside Strahl is working he's got a he's got a you know twenty something uh <clears throat> Arconauts uh and they're working their way back. He runs into uh Grom who who in this scene like gives him a cloak. He's he's he sees something and Straw is like you've you've got a chance to like help me out. It's a cool scene where now now Straw's got the cloak on, he's like, Oh man, feels so much better. And it's kind of warming him and he looks over and he says, Oh, you're, you're cold. Like you can see Grom Brindle's got goosebumps and Grom Brindle's like, yeah, so I am. And he's like, no, but I mean, you are cold. Like <laughs> how cold can like it's right. gotta be darn cold if you can get cold.
2: Well, they'd um, been overtaken by the Everwinter at this point. Um, yeah. And they're, they're struggling to make their way back through it. And I thought this, this scene was really, really cool because one of the first hints that David Geimer gave about, uh, Grom-Rindle, um when he introduced him as Whitram in Blood of the Old World, was he put his cloak on, I think it was um, Malaneth in that story, and instantly she felt as if she was right next to a roaring hearth fire. Mm. Um, so it was a magical cloak that that warmed you as if you were sitting right next to a, a, a great fireplace. Yeah. Um, so then to see him throw this cloak on straw like you if you read that other story you know hey this is that, that same guy
0: yeah uh and meanwhile at the gates they're they're getting ready to smash it down and uh Grand appears and he confronts Sharpa and he's just chatting with him like just casual conversation uh and he's almost like he he's uh he's marveling at the ingenuity of the knob right <laughs> I, think, I think he uh i think he even announces him like you're, you're gonna actually if you really want to do this job here's a tool you need like you're gonna want um whatever for that um and sharp was looking around i was like am i the only guy who sees this dude like what's what's up with this like does no one else see this guy am i is this a is this a spook uh and they start throwing down and uh Grom is kind of pushed to his limit. He's he's taken on Sharpe and like the whole uh, retinue up there. Um, the uh, oh yeah, he's like obviously like there's nothing this guy can do. And uh, Grombrindle is a there's an awesome moment where he swings his axe and uh, Sharpe hears like the impact. He's like, "Lol, like you're not gonna break a a, a stonehorn's leg." And then all of a sudden, the stonehorn just starts. Flopping over,
1: mm-hmm.
0: crying out in pain, and Sharp is like, "I've never heard that before." <laughs> 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 Slides across, uh, and uh, he's he's really getting pushed to his limit. Even even for him, this is kind of a big fight, and that's where Straw's crew comes to the rescue, and they they come in guns literally ablazing, um, and uh, give him the opening. Uh, and there is a cool death scene here where so siarpa is like coming through and the the everwinter is right upon them like it, it is caught up it's right here now and uh he has really put it to grom brindle and uh he's noticing his oh my legs are going numb uh, you know i'm having trouble walking and grom brindle it's not like gets him with a final axe blow he's like hey look like let me tell you a story and siarpa is like it gets into his inner monologue and he's like, it's realized that's all I really wanted. He just he, like, this is the thing he wants most in this moment is the story. And I, I don't know if you notice this, uh, you guys, but the story he starts telling, he says it, it began at the deathbed of a high King. And this is one of the rumored origins of, uh, of the white, the white dwarf himself in the, in the mm, world that oh, was, nice. wow. Like, yeah. He was, he was the last high King, to uh to receive the honor he was like a friend of malekith before malekith uh broke bad um <laughs> he was the last high king to receive like the um honor due to him i think is how it was said by by the elven nations so like pre uh pre sundering like pre not sundering that's the war of the beard period yeah exactly um and on his deathbed like he he tries to you know make them promise to remain allies and that Obviously, it doesn't hold true, but that it was all they all it was it all began on the
2: deathbed of a high king. I was like, there it is, yes. Wow. So, if nothing else, you can imagine that he told the story of the War of the Beard to Siarpa, which is mm. an incredible story.
0: Yep. Uh, and then we switch down into the forge where Brig has been selected to be the ruler. Uh, they come back up. They find uh they find grom brindle frozen in ice dead but with a smile on his face uh straw has somehow survived uh thanks to the cloak uh and two two twists and i I don't know what you guys think about this decision but uh they're like well we stick to our oaths." they actually bring borgia inside like the the big frost lord that is inside the like the one from a thousand years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to stick to it. I mean, I guess if you just bring one uh, rumors that he's so massive, so fat that he can't move. So I guess maybe you're safe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they're going to bring him in and thaw him out. And, uh, although, although Grombrindle died, there is a hearth guard with just a hand of white in his beard. And I like, go, oh, there yep. he is again. He's been reforged. Yeah. 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 And that's, that is, uh, Lords of stone, fire and sky. Mm-hmm. um, what, what, uh, further thoughts do you guys have on this one?
1: Uh, I really liked the, the battle scene versus the, the ogres because they had, um, we kind of didn't touch on it, but they had the carriage overlords and the dispossessed and the fire slayers all fighting in the same battle line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought was kind mm-hmm. of cool. Um, they, they were talking about where they were on the battlements and, and how they were reinforcing each other and, and watching each of them separately fight together and fail independently.
2: Uh-huh. That was a
1: really interesting um, and well-written way of talking about what was going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I love seeing all the different flavors of Duarden fighting together as a force. Um, and, and just the, the the intricacies of their cultural differences, um, but how underlying all that was just their common Duarden-ness. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I thought it worked really well as a, as, uh, and you said this, Harry, uh, that it was, uh, it pulled together like the, the other short stories that had kind of set the plate for this. I thought that was absolutely, I that was a really good way of thinking of it. I don't think I thought of it that way until you kind of said it and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that actually really pulls together well. So, um, all right. Well, Uh, I am, uh, Aaron might do this in a particular order, but he's not here. We have the wheel. So (laughs) uh, I'm going to jump to listener questions and I'm going to hit our, our kind of end questions here. So, um, this one's from Klaus M.A., a patron of the show. Thank you, Klaus. Uh, does Grom Brindle get more character and purpose beyond acting as a deus ex machina? Um, what, what do you guys think here? And then the follow-up is, is his journey from the old world to the mortal realms a meaningful one? And has he
1: changed? Um, any thoughts on this? The first question, absolutely. He's, he's evolved by um, yeah. uh, Dave's ex machina. I, like, I think the entire story of this book was him evolving where he came from, why he's acting the way he is. And like especially since we now have three Dwarden races, he has to evolve, right? Because we only had one the old world uh, besides right. chaos. Right. And he's not going to be with the chaos warden. Um, so he yeah. had his character had to evolve in order to allow this. And like, it it, it kind of feels like you know, like this is dis- being dismissive, but for, I think, a good reason. Um, it kind of feels like he's a cosplayer that just like shows up and like, but you always know it's that guy. Oh, it's that guy that's the cosplayer. And he's just got little different pieces of himself like the little different pieces mm-hmm. of runes or little different pieces of um, jewelry or weaponry. Um, but he always seems to have exactly what he should. And so um, I, I thought that was a really fun touch for his character and, and definitely made him see a, feel not nearly as much of a deus ex machina or a uh, superhero that comes in to save the day as it were.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and you touched on this, how now the Duarden have uh, th- at least three very distinct expressions in the mortal realms from the way they were portrayed in the old world. And so you couldn't have Grombrindle just be the way he was in the old world. Whereas before he was this mysterious figure who would show up, in would the show up need. Yeah. yeah, in the time of need, but he was always just like the white dwarf. He was the, the archetypical old dwarf. Yeah. And now you have to he had to be reinvented in at least three different expressions and we see even more than that. Um, and the way they handled that, uh, in each of the individual stories and then also in the, uh, the white bearded ancestor where they give a little bit of the, the mechanical, like, how is this possible? Um, it it was really, really clever and, and it fits right into the flavor and the setting of the Age of Sigmar, the, you know, the mortal realms yeah. where you've got it, it's it's stories of epic tales and the gods and and myths becoming real um, in the daily lives of of the characters. Um, yeah. it, it, it very much made it a believable part of the lore. Yeah, I think
0: the big thing for me is it wasn't just like I'm there in your time of need. I'm the You know, to use your word, Harry, the archetype of uh, the Duarden race. But he's he's here to uh, to do the thing that grung assigned him to do, which is to help the Duarden help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To, To like recognize
2: their own weaknesses and address those. In a sense, you would you could almost imagine if they wrote a character for him, he couldn't be your general. Mm-hmm. you yeah. know, in, in the age yeah. of Sigmar game, like yeah. he, he's not there to take charge of any of the armies. He's there to enhance them, to help them, to, to, you know, in a way, help them be their best toward themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that expression may be.
1: Yeah. And and this is something that kind of like, it was silly in Warhammer fantasy battle. Um, was that we got all these different versions of the white dwarf. And there was like a a, a white dwarf in space. There was a white dwarf oh. witch hunter. There was yeah. a white dwarf pirate. Like there were all these different expressions, right? But like this novel actually makes all of those believable. Like I can now picture in my mind, oh, what would a white <laughs> dwarf pirate have been? Like, oh, you know, like it would have been slayers and he would have done this thing. Yeah. In the old world, he literally just was, this figure, he's wearing this specific suit of armor. He has this specific axe. He has this specific thing, right? Like, and this is exactly what he looks like.
2: And then, right, and, and you have to remember, white dwarf as a as a title was their magazine that came out way back at the very very beginning before Warhammer Fantasy Battles had even really coalesced into yep. a, a game yeah. system the way we know it. Yeah. And so it's always been this term that they kept because it was both sci fi and fantasy, and then it grew into this this character and now they've solidified it into an actual believable part of the lore.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and sort to of to answer that second part of the question is his journey from the old world to the mortal realms, a meaningful one. Um, I, I would definitely say yes, because as opposed to most other characters where they're just kind of like they might show up or something happens to bring them back. Right. This was an intentional choice, kind of like Eltharion, which I appreciated the way that Eltherion's character came back as well, because it was like, Teklis was like, no, I want him. Like, this is the person that I want and went on a a quest to go and grab him. And so, um, it's the same thing here, uh, where Grimnir was like, no, I need him. I need this person to help me. And he forged him. So that was, that was really cool. Mm. -hmm. Uh,
0: we have quite a few questions from dog tired friend of the show. Uh, I'm going to hit, oh, uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll hit these. Um, how did you all feel about the Beast Claw villain? I surprisingly liked him. I, I'm going to speak for all of us. I think we liked him. I, I oh, think yeah. we enjoyed uh, the different facets. I think he had a really nice arc where he his his ending was not just getting killed in a gruesome way. I, I thought that was, I thought that was cool. So thumbs up there. That's one of the things that uh, when Josh Reynolds was writing for Black Library, I always liked about his books is the compelling villains. Right. Like, uh, was it Ghost Eater comes to mind? There was like a a beastman in one of the, uh, in black pyramid, maybe that I thought was great.
1: I would go so far as to say, like, I think this is my favorite ogre that I've read in black library. Mm, um, sure. Uh, he's just, great perspective and like really fleshed out character. <laughs> Get it. Cause he's an ogre. <laughs>
0: Uh, here's another one. And I'm, uh, so what is Grom actual limits? I.E. he will get involved with A, B, but not C. How powerful is he? And I think we don't know. Uh, we know that there are some limits. Uh, he appears exhausted. Uh, he can only, you know, he talks about, you, you brought it up like the, the cost, uh, of him staying, uh, with the, with the ale, uh, not ale wife, the, uh, the brewer, um, mm-hmm. But I think, it's, I think it's important that we don't know, right? Like, um, he, he did die. He came back. We don't know if uh, coming back he has some limit to his power. Did he die there? But he's actually existing somewhere else at the same time. Uh, some of the fun of this character is that there's mystery about him, and I, I like that it's not all laid out. Right. Uh, here you go. Uh, we'll start with Paul. Who would you feel worse about disappointing, Gotrek or Grom Brindle?
1: Oh, obviously Grom Brindle. <laughs> like go going to be just wedding you no matter what you do. Right. Either exactly. <laughs> right. It'd be an idiot or you didn't bring enough beer. So you're an idiot. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Or, or he just doesn't care about you. Yeah. Gon <laughs> exactly. Brindle. Gon Brindle is like the guy you really, you he's the, uh, the parent you really don't want to disappoint. So. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Harry, uh, let's see. Well, so there's one here I can manage this one. Why don't Beast Claws just get Magma mounts? There is kind of this cool thing where, like, the Magma Drough. there's a mag- even down in Grimnir's Forge, like, this one Magma is, uh, it's a uh, um, Briggs, I believe, and she, this Magma almost dies because she gets so cold. So I, I don't think they could hang out that close to the Everwinter and not uh, not get sick and die.
1: Yep. They would get dormant or die. Yeah. Agreed.
0: Uh, yeah. But uh, Harry, if your ancestors
1: did watch over your beer brewing, what flavor would they add? (laughs) Mm.
2: That's a tough one.
1: I mean, you can't use Quinken Berries because he already used that
2: one. Right, (laughs) right, right. Uh, That's what I was thinking. No, um, (laughs) I'm going to say we'll go with a a West Texas favorite of Mesquite. Ooh, Ooh, (laughs) all right, all right. Uh, Paul, what about you?
1: Um i don't know and i i've never done any brewing myself uh but i think i'd probably like something strong or different like maybe some anise or something like that
0: okay cool
1: actual flavor a strong flavor in there so see how that works
0: uh i'll i'll regret this because i'm only good for about one or two of them but uh i did enjoy myself a uh uh ruby red shiner when i was living oh, in texas so oh yeah a little especially I this year a little little ruby red grapefruit yes um that's uh that's just kind of give you some freshness in there so <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see uh i think we got our last one here oh, boy what movie are Tyrion and grungny watching and browing out about what movie are Tyrion and grungny watching that leaves them both in tears
1: <laughs> i got an answer for both Okay. Well, Go for it. going uh, can stand for it. The CBS documentary of The War of the Beard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. It's got to be like 12 and it's, hours it's long. It's the answer right? to both of them. It's the, yeah. the answer to both of them. Exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Ken Burns documentary of The War exactly. of the Beard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like it. Uh, thank you, folks, for, uh, for uh, sending in some um, questions for us uh we have our regular ones uh there's one that's in what shape are the characters at the end the settings i i think that what we're really asking about it what what shape is the duarden the duarden of this mountain at and then possibly duarden as a whole because you assume like this this sort of thing is kind of playing out on a on a in many locations at this point, right right um so what what do you what are your take of the the setting or the characters at the end of this
2: I don't know how much of this is is my reading of it and how much of this is my projection onto the story out mm. of just sheer wishlisting but I I see the hand of Grumbrindle in reuniting the the three um, flavors of Duarden. and so the, there is potential there for a combined Duard and ale holds battle tome.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. Ale holds, love it. Uh Paul, anything to add to that?
1: Um, to me, um, the the characters and the setting are definitely a more optimistic, um, I feel, at the end of this, um, it, specifically for the Dwarden. But again, I feel like I need to <laughs> say that this really feels like a prequel to um, Grungy coming back, right? Mm. And, and in particular, and, and I'm going to reference it again, uh, the new Caradron Overlords Battle Tome really is going to go in and like explore some more of those themes and what's going on. It's not going to be for Grombrindle, but it's going to be for um, Grungy and the Dwarden in general. So, um, oh man, it, it definitely feels like there is an intentional choice to inject optimism back into the Dwarden race, which is something that we just haven't seen. Right, mm-hmm. like, um, and and it's interesting that they've always been a depressing race or a a negative race, <laughs> right? In Age of Sigmar, because the Fire Slayers or our God died, but we're still fighting. Right, the Caradon right. or our God left us, but we're still fighting. The Dispossessed, yeah. we lost everything, but we're still fighting. Right, and and this is yep. this makes them not one dimensional in my mind. Right, this gives them a facet of hope, which. I think every race should have right. So,
2: yeah. And, and I'll I'll go one step further. I and again might be wish listing here, but I feel like in the game, what fire slayers and Caradron overlords have really lacked is an identifiable hero character that that's part of the lore. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so like Lumineth have Teclis and, and the daughters of Cain have Marathi and, um, you know, all the death factions, well, except for flesh eater courts, um, the other death factions all have a variety, you know, Manfred and Nefrata and, uh, of course, Nagash, um, you know, it, with a uh, lots of, even the, even the, um, Oric, uh, they have Gordrak and, uh, and then Kragnos, you know, for the destruction yeah. factions. Yeah. Um, but with the, with the Duarden, we just haven't really had other than Gotrik, which when he got in, gets introduced to the game, it's kind of a, yeah, he's Duarden, but any order army can take him. Um, you know, he's not really there to, uh to embody the character of, of one or more of those armies. Whereas Grombrindle through these stories, you see a way in which he could do that.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, well, another thing we like to do is ask you who was your non-gender specific dude? Who is somebody in the story that you either identified with or really enjoyed or, qualified however you want but uh who would you pick paul you have anyone picked out
1: uh i do um and as opposed to usually when they do these and it's like oh there's a little uh, this little character in this thing like my dude is totally grumber like <laughs> it, we never pick the main character it's always a side character it's always um you know like this little thing but like for me it would totally was him like it it is a
0: little gauche of you paul but we'll go ahead i know right to
2: be fair to paul yeah he is the side character in every story right that's true yeah yeah so
1: i i really enjoyed his character and all the different ways in which he interacted and like all the little details about what he was wearing right like all the little ways in which he impacted the story and it, i just thought it was great so totally my dude
2: yeah harry how about you uh for me i'm going to go with uh i want to make sure i pronounce it right helka raven's daughter yeah. um the the uh um, rune mother in the first story was just full of character, full of strength um, and determination, um, just as strong headed as any other Fire Slayer character we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just very inspiring uh, to, to read her story or hear her story and made me uh, want a model for that character or that type of character in the game. Um, totally. You know, I love when, when you read a black library novel and it just makes you want to, to work on a a model or an army. And that, that character definitely did that for me. Sure. Uh, for
0: me, I, I really thought hard about making it Grungni cause I enjoyed that white bearded ancestor so much. And I really think Grungni might be my favorite of the, uh, of the Pantheon after reading that. Um, but in the tradition, uh, I will I will pick a smaller character. I really like. There was just it was in there just for a hot second. There's this character Boren. He was mm. uh, he was his jo- his job to man this like lookout post and light the watchtower. And he he's like struggling to get up there to get it lit. Uh, and he's like I'm like I could run, but I didn't bring my family to this crappy little shack for the last 30 years just to fail in my oaths right now. And, uh, and it was just another great moment where Grom Brindle shows up, uh, cause he's having trouble getting the, getting the light started and Grom Brindle's like, you know, need a light, you know, here's <laughs> there. And I, I, but I just really like you know, the, the story of the little guy in the, in the face of this like big impossible thing, like this right. little, small act of defiance. I really like that a lot. So,
2: right. And there was uh, one scene. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. There's one other scene that that just it, it wasn't even that um, influential to the story, but was entertaining. And it's when they first introduced the ogres mm. in um, the the Lords of Stone, uh, Fire and Sky. Is they've got two fire slayers running through the um, oh, yeah. the snow at them, and yeah and they're melting the the fire like the heat from their runes is just melting the snow yeah. uh, as they run yes. and in the audiobook one of the uh, the ogres is just like spicy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> because he's excited to eat these fire slayers yeah uh, it was just hilarious <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, that brings us to kind of our last question. What did we learn about the mortal realms that we didn't know before or any, any other comments? I'm going to make it just a general thing. What did you learn? And what, what are the last thoughts do you have about the Grom tales of the wanderer? I, uh, Paul, we'll start with you.
1: I really like the idea that Grom came from the realms. He mm. had a grandfather. He had kids like, mm. Like I, I really like that. That's not something we have from pretty much any of these god level characters. So I I thought that was super cool.
2: For me, it's gotta be the um the art of reforging and how we see that, that Grugni has that um ability. And it made me wonder, will we see any other reforged to characters. Oh, interesting. Sure.
0: Um, for me, new, new things, it was just so many little bits and pieces about, uh, the culture of these different factions. So, um, you know, even, even the, uh, the beast claw raiders, this idea of the mop path and, and such, but, uh, um, all those, all those pieces together, the, uh, the, ritual for a newborn, uh, rune son and, and all those together. I I'd love anytime they get into details of like the nitty gritty of character and overlords, like where they're talking contracts and talking like, <laughs> and, and it, I, it's just like catnip to me where they start, you know, salting in aeronautical and naval, uh, terminology and just finding a way to like kind of interlace that with, with what they're doing. Um, and so every every time I get just a little piece more, that's that's another thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at. I guess, to, Paul, we usually rate these, right? I don't see that question we here. Are we not yep. been rating these,
1: okay? Uh, no, no, we definitely uh, do. It's just okay. Aaron got a little lazy. That's all. Oh wow! <laughs>
0: Yikes! Uh, uh, I I believe in you, Aaron. You're awesome. Um. So Harry, uh, this will get you maybe a little bit by surprise. We usually do some pick your own custom rating. Uh, right. All. What, what would you rate this? How would you rate this? Uh, I would
1: give this uh, seven of eight spider legs. Um, mm. I really enjoyed it uh, from beginning to end. Um, so even reading it for the second time didn't bother me at all. So uh, I, have to, I have to give it a high rating for sure.
2: Sure. Harry, what about you? Sorry, I'm counting all the names for Grombrindle in here. <laughs> I love it. And I think I'm at seven. Okay. Am I off here?
1: Well there is That one. seems pretty good. There's Grombrindle,
2: there's the White
1: Dwarf, the Ancestor, and then there's the six names that he goes by in the there's short. Six story. names in
2: this and then the, the, the three story. names
1: he goes by in the novella, right?
2: Uh, the novella repeats. Up. Yeah, exactly. That's right. a cool thing.
1: So I'll go so eight or nine.
2: Eight <laughs> or nine. So I will give it because there's probably one that w- hasn't been written about yet. Mm-hmm. I'll give it ten out of ten names for Grand Brindle. Oh man, very nice.
0: Uh, I will give it nine hundred and fifty out of a thousand years on the maw path <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. and 300 of those years alone are just for uh the white bearded ancestor which oh was absolutely just incredible just great yeah um very enjoyable up and down uh i'm gonna pass it around one last time for any last thoughts i i got one more thing um that uh that kind of popped into my head right at the end here uh but paul you got anything
1: Yes, if you like Grombrindle, if you like reading about the white dwarf, um, there is actually another short story in the current white dwarf, um, that is by a different author. Um, So not by David Geimer, um, but it is the start of a new serial serial series in White Dwarf about the white dwarf. So Mm.
2: perfect. That's exciting. mm -hmm. Just read it, Uh, Harry. Any any last thoughts for you? Uh, no, I've, I think I've already shared, you know, just how exciting this this uh, book was, as far as um, you know, hope for a combined Duarden force and the ability to bust out all my old dwarf models along with <laughs> the the new dwarf models or Duarte models that I have. Yeah. Um, so I guess the only Dwarven I have yet to see that hopefully we'll see sometime are the Chaos type.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh there there's even a reference in there uh in again white-bearded ancestor. Uh and I I don't have it in front of me so I'm going to just paraphrase it but uh the he's I think uh, Grungni is looking out on these berserkers and by berserkers I don't mean the uh fire slayer kind but like the Mm-mm. the uh corn kind and he he's like not holding it against them, you know, cuz this, this is a thing where like it's age of chaos. They survive the age of chaos and he's like uh, a craftsman doesn't blame the like the the metal he left out in the rain to rust and doesn't uh, or or the uh, or the wood wood that was left out in the rain to rot or the metal that went into an Asgorite, uh forge. it's like ooh
2: right okay alright alright all right. we've seen a couple references there's another one in um, uh, Robbie McNiven's uh, Scourge of Fate mm, yep um,
0: oh, yeah that uh, that was it as a it was a long haul guys, but, uh, we got there and, and, uh, faster than we could have with as many stories <laughs> as there were to cover. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, I appreciate the listeners sticking with us. I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing about it. Um, it's, it's, we haven't done novels or, or, uh, I guess not, this wasn't a novel, but we haven't done like a, a, a non battle tome or campaign book coverage in a while. And, uh, I think Paul and I both kind of had a hankering to, to do one. So, uh, I, I honestly am not sure when Aaron is going to slot this in, if this is uh, extra or if it's going to fill in somewhere else. So um, we'll, we'll let him decide, but. Uh, right.
2: If he Barney, releases it soon. Yeah. Then, uh, then the people will understand all the uh, references to the new <laughs> <tome> Yeah, He's just going to hold on to it for 18 months. <laughs> why we're just wrong yeah. jealous. But, yeah.
0: <laughs> wait, wait until it comes around to the next one. So. Exactly. Right. All right. Well, with that said, it is time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can do on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter. You can get the podcast at The Mortal Realms. Paul, where can they find you?
1: At PJ Shard.
0: Harry, can they find you anywhere?
2: Yep, I'm on Twitter at at toy soldier fun and i'm on the discord most days perfect uh, i'm at red underscore zeke and
0: uh if this sounds terribly edited you can let at dos Asos know on twitter exactly. all It's all <laughs> uh you can find all our mortal realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com that's pat the story that's dogs of warcry that's what the hex that's this show that's uh blog content all kinds of stuff and uh I'm sure this will not be out before Adepticon, so hopefully hopefully we saw you at Adepticon. Uh, thanks for listening. Yep. All right. We've, we're already recording. We've been recording for 14 minutes, so plenty of room, pl- plenty of space for excerpts for Aaron. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, let's start with you, uh, Phil. Ha. Sorry, Phil's not here. Uh, you can tell i normally record what they <laughs> That's how Aaron knows that it's actually at the end.
2: Oh, Okay. <laughs> Again, this is this is like a a uh, meeting your heroes type moment <laughs> cuz you know, Davy's just been a voice in my ears for for years now.
0: Here i am in a dingy Wisconsin basement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Aaron he is very cool. I love Aaron.